October 4th meeting of the SFMTA Board of Directors and Parking Authority Commission. Secretary Silva. Good afternoon, directors, staff, members of the public. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person at City Hall, room 400, broadcast live on SFGov TV and by phone. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods today. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by call-in. For each action or discussion item, the board will take comment first from those attending in the, the meeting in person and then from those calling in remotely. The phone number to use is 415-655-0001, access code 2484-146-5505. When prompted, dial star three to enter the speaker line. Speakers will have two minutes to provide comment unless otherwise noted by the chair. Please speak clearly, ensure you're in a quiet location and turn off any TVs or computers around you. We thank you for joining us. Places you on item number two, roll call. Director Hemminger. Here. Hemminger present, Director Hinzi. Present. Hinzi present, Director Yakutiel. Here. Yakutiel present, Director Kahina. I see her. Present. <laughs> Kahina present and Chair Borden. Present. Borden present. Director Eakin is not expected today. Madam Chair, you have a quorum and for the record, I note that Director Hinsey is attending this meeting remotely under the authority of the mayor's emergency orders. Directors are reminded that they must appear on camera throughout the meeting in order to speak or vote on any items. And because we have directors attending remotely, all votes at this meeting will be taken by roll call. Places you on item number three. The ringing and use of cell phones and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. The chair may order the removal from the meeting room of any person responsible for the ringing or use of a cell phone or other similar sound producing electronic devices. Places you on item four, approval of minutes for the September 20 regular meeting. Directors, are there any additions to the minutes on your end? Seeing none, we'll open it to public comment. This is time for members of the public to comment on our minutes from our last meeting. That's the only thing we're dealing with at this moment. If you're in the queue, you press star three, if you'd like to speak. We do have one caller in the queue. Okay. Yes, Mr. Pilpel. <laughs> What? Mr. Pilsen? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Never mind. Um, I don't see anything immediately. If I do catch something, I will communicate it to uh, Secretary Silva. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Are there any other callers on the line? I see none. Seeing none, we'll go ahead and take a, I'll take a motion on this I'd like item. to motion to approve the minutes. Great. Second. Will you please call the roll? On the motion to approve the minutes, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director Yukutiel. Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. The minutes are approved. Places you on um, num, item number five, communications. I have none. Directors, are there any communications? No. Seeing none, we'll move on to the next item, please. Uh, item number six, introduction of new or unfinished business by board members. Board members, any items under new and unfinished business? Seeing none, we'll move on to the next item. Item seven, director's report. Hopefully you have something to tell us. <laughs> All right, uh, thank you, members of the board of directors. I'm Jeff Tumlin, the executive director of the SFMTA. Uh, and I am proud to announce that our first item in the director's report is a special recognition. Transit director Julie Kirschbaum, would you like to introduce our honoree? Um, it, it is my pleasure to introduce to the board Tim Rossi. His CAP ID is 5182, and he's a transit operator out of Kirkland. Uh, he's here supported today by Theo 
and Monica, uh, two of our division managers. Uh, and I'm here to talk about a really incredible um, incident that, that, that Tim facilitated. But I also really wanted to show off for a minute about what I consider to be the highest standard in customer service uh, from our Muni operators. Um, Tim is uh, routinely given accommodations from our customers, and I just wanted to read some of them to you. Uh, this driver is so polite and so friendly. He consistently makes my day. He really cares about his passengers. This driver was gracious, patient, and helpful with all of us. That man was an angel. He was making sure every passenger was taken care of. I want to thank the bus driver for his gracious and compassion for the ill man and his family and his follow-up and concern for their welfare. The bus operator did a great job managing the medical emergency and an irate passenger. Thank you. So this is just Tim's regular day. But on um, September 11th, I think it was, um, Tim was driving the 28, uh, and he got to uh, Stonestown. So 19th um, Avenue, you can kind of imagine what, what's going on there. Uh, and he sees an elderly woman, uh, not in his bus, uh, but disoriented and navigating without shoes, 19th Avenue. Uh, this was um, a, an elderly woman, uh, Joyce Faragajamno. Faragajamno. Um, and um, we later found out that the police had been looking for, for her for several hours. Uh, Tim was able to essentially rescue her, uh, get her onto the bus, um, calm her down, be a resource, get the medical help that she needed. Um, and then when she was so scared and disoriented, actually was the one that walked her onto the ambulance in order to be able to get this help. So the family has shared with us that she's doing great and, and really because of Tim's um, kind of really above and beyond action. So I wanted to, um, on behalf of the board, give you this certificate of appreciation. Um, and I know that they would love to, to hear from you for a few minutes on, on your experiences as an operator. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, thank you all so much for this uh, spectacular honor. I'm, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. I'm, I'm very proud to be an operator. Uh, I'm a native San Franciscan. I have ridden Muni my whole life. Uh, I just think it's a storied franchise. It's just, it's a beautiful place to be. Um, the bus driver, I always say, should be someone that is trusted. Uh, we take your children, your grandchildren, your grandmothers, grandfathers, and parents, and siblings, and loved ones to and from. Um, we are sometimes the very first person you see of the day, and sometimes the very last person you'll see of the day. And with that, we have an incredible opportunity uh, because we are at the front line of, of humanity. And with all that is happening with our city and with every city in America, we have a, a really brilliant opportunity to be the ripple effect, I believe, and to act from kindness and empathy and compassion and professionalism and to treat each person with the respect that they deserve because they are a human being. Um, and that is what I try to put forth. But I am incredibly fortunate to have superintendents that are 
brilliant and coworkers that set the bar very high. And truthfully, I'm just trying to reach that every day. And uh, thank you very much for this incredible honor. It's, uh, it's a wonderful moment in my life. So thank you very much. We cannot thank you enough. Your eloquence cannot be understated. You so well articulated the role of the operator and the eyes of, the, of San Franciscans and, and embody every part of what makes me so proud to be part of this agency. Every day when I get on, a, on the bus and I see operators like you making a difference, dealing with all the things that you deal with on a daily basis. And for you to have gone above and beyond and saw a person in distress and went out of your way to take care of it, it is is the ultimate embodiment of public service. So I can't thank you enough. I feel so proud to be part of an agency that's people that work with the heart and the soul and the integrity that you do. So thank you for that. I mean, this I think also helps restore, you know, in these times when people have concerns about humanity or their fellow humans and their ability to have compassion for one another and what you showed in that act and in all the acts apparently that you do on a regular basis, I can't thank you enough. Um, I'm personally a daily muni writer and I know what it's like when I, when I feel that things are going wrong in the bus and I really feel for the operators um, and I can just move, but you can't, right? And so I just want to thank you. I, I know it's not the easiest at times, but it is true that you make so many people's days when, when the, the bus shows up and you don't miss it and you're on your way to work or wherever you need to go. So thank you for your service. Thank you for your eloquence. Thank you for being part of this, this incredible family called uh, Muni SFMTA. Uh, and and just thank you to your team that, that, that they help enable people to be amazing employees and feel very proud of the work that they do at SFMTA. So I don't know if anybody else wants to say something. I don't want to take all of the um, time, but I just think I can't express enough my gratitude. That's very kind. Thank our, you so much behalf. for that. Wonderful. So with that, we want to thank you. Thank and you I, all. I know that we'll want to get a photo. <laughs> And while, while we're getting that photo, just a reminder to board members and to everyone in the public, uh, if you go to sfmta.com slash munifeedback, uh, you can easily offer any complaint that you would like about our service. That helps us allocate our limited resources. And more importantly, you can offer any praise you would like for any of our employees, particularly those who go above and beyond the call of duty in helping make San Francisco work. Uh, please know that uh, all of those, both complaints and compliments get read. Um, the compliments go straight to the uh, affected employee and that person's supervisor, and those compliments are deeply, deeply meaningful to all of our public-facing staff. Um, so uh, I have a relatively brief director's report today. I'll be covering uh, some minor central subway updates as well as a legislative update and covering a couple of special events in the coming weeks. Uh, so with uh, Central Subway, uh, SFMTA has fully taken over the operations of the subway, um, and in several cases, the overall maintenance of the tunnels and the mechanical systems. Uh, our crews are down there in the, sub, uh, in the subway all day, every day, uh, doing two shifts of training. Um, all of our operators need to get trained in the operations of the subway. Our custodians are there understanding how to clean the stations. Our station agents are getting trained and how all the systems work, um, and we're expecting uh, occupancy certification for the um, Yerba Buena Moscone station and Union Square Market Street stations uh, within the next two weeks. 
Um, our contractor, Tutaparini, is still completing the last final uh, minor punch list items, uh, particularly in the Chinatown station, uh, and uh, then we'll be able to uh, get final certifications from all of the regulators, including uh, Kalosha and CPUC. Um, we are planning some public events at the stations themselves uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, so these are community events uh, intended to thank community members for dealing with years of construction. Um, we'll also be able to show off uh, the artwork uh, that's at the stations, including showcasing um, some of the archaeological artifacts that we found uh, while excavating the stations. Um, and right now, those event timelines are currently scheduled for October 20th uh, for a community event at Chinatown Rose Pack Station, October 25th for Union Square Market Street Station. Um, we're still working to schedule something for 4th and Brannan. Uh, we're looking at November 3rd for Yerba Buena Moscone Station. And finally, we will be scheduling an event for uh, friends and family, uh, folks who have worked on all aspects of getting the project built, uh, including the folks who've been doing the construction work, the accountants and contracting and procurement people uh, who made uh, all of the paperwork uh, possible and got our you know, contractors paid, uh, for all the folks who've been involved in planning, design, project management, uh, testing, uh, and, uh, and occupancy. Uh, next up, uh, we have a legislative update, and a lot has gone on in this legislative cycle. Um, last Friday marked the end of the 2022 two-year session um, and the final deadline for the governor to act uh, on bills that were sent to him. Um, overall, this year's results have been quite good, uh, with the governor taking final action on a variety of bills that were high priorities to the SFMTA. So the enacted bills include SB 922. This is Senator Scott Wiener's CEQA streamlining bill that extends uh, a bunch of provisions that allowed us to move much more quickly in implementing projects um, that helped us uh, do safety quick build projects through the pandemic um, and all of the 14 miles of new temporary emergency transit lanes uh, that we built out uh, during the pandemic. So that law gets extended, I believe, for another decade, although I'm not certain about that. Um, another bill, uh, Assembly Bill 1938 uh, by Assemblymember Laura Friedman uh, uh, helps to make sure that the 20 mile an hour speed limit law and other changes to speed limit setting, uh, that the, uh, the laws that she had passed back in 2021, there was some question about whether they would be able to continue. Um, AB uh, 1938 uh, ensures that those remain valid. Uh, Assemblymember Friedman also uh, got through AB uh, 1909. That's her bike omnibus bill, which uh, did a whole lot of changes, including uh, removing prohibitions of class three electric bikes from bike paths and trails, eliminating local authority to ban electric bikes from bike paths, uh, some minor modifications around the three-foot passing requirement for uh, motor vehicles overtaking bikes. Um, and it also included a provision that allows cyclists to use the um, leading pedestrian interval pedestrian uh, uh, you know, walking person signal uh, to allow them to, uh, to, to go with pedestrians. Uh, I did not state that very clearly. Uh, <laughs> 
Right now, here in San Francisco, um, the walk signal will turn on before the green light does. It's called the leading pedestrian interval. This law will allow cyclists to use the leading pedestrian interval uh, to enter and cross through the intersection before the green ball turns on. Um, we had um, some questions about details around implementing that aspect of the bike bill. Um, and so that part of the bill does not go into effect for another year uh, while we sort through some details. Uh, another bill, Senate Bill uh, 1161, uh, requires the Manetit Transportation Institute uh, to develop a survey uh, that will allow transit agencies to document problems of street harassment. Um, this bill supports efforts that have already been presented to you around um, our gender uh, equity safety initiative, um, and we were happily supporters of uh, 1161. Um, and finally, um, Assemblymember Phil Ting's bill AB 2147 uh, prohibits a police officer from stopping a pedestrian for specified traffic infra infractions unless a reasonably careful person would realize there is an immediate danger of a collision with a uh, moving vehicle. Effectively, what uh, 2147 does is it um, eliminates uh, uh, jaywalking enforcement in California. Uh, so you can't stop a person and give them a citation uh, just because they're crossing against the light. Uh, you can only uh, uh, issue that citation if uh, a reasonable person would identify that they were endangering themselves or others by doing so. Uh, the governor also uh, vetoed several bills that we had been tracking and engaged on. Um, some of those are likely to reappear in different form um, in the next session, including free transit passes for all students, which the governor directed the state legislature to identify funding for uh, before he would be able to sign. Um, so we are now beginning work uh, for the new two-year session that begins in January. Um, we've identified some top priorities and look forward to collaborating uh, with you all in the coming months. Um, to solidify those priorities. Finally, a couple of uh, key special events. Uh, Fleet Week began uh, last Sunday, um, and that will culminate this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, with the big air show. Uh, to support that, as usual, we'll be running uh, extra service uh, along the F-Line, um, and uh, also as a reminder that uh, Muni is free for those with military ID during Fleet Week. Uh, next up, we are once again partnering with San Francisco Beautiful, the San Francisco Unified School District, and 826 Valencia um, to support local youth artists and poets by converting muni buses into rolling art galleries. Uh, works of art and poems uh, created by city youth will be selected through online voting this month with winning selections displayed in January. And you can learn more about that at our website. And finally, uh, one of my favorite events of the year, it's Phoenix Day uh, again um, on October 16th. Um, on Phoenix Day, uh, the city supports over 50 neighborhood-hosted uh, block parties in every supervisorial district. There's a whole lot of sidewalk sales organized by merchant groups and small businesses, uh, over a dozen outdoor fam family fun hubs, and dozens of community-led projects um, to help make the city better and more fun. Um, and that is all I have in my director's report. Directors, are there questions or comments for the director? Seeing them, we'll open it to public comment. This is time for members of the public who'd like to comment on anything that happened during Director Tomlin's director's report. I have two callers in the queue. First speaker, please. 
Uh, thank you. Hope you can hear me, uh, Chair uh, Gwyneth Ford and uh, Alita Dupree. For the record, my pronouns are she and her. Uh, good report. Um, I'm looking forward to the subway opening and maybe I'll be in San Francisco for those uh, public events. Uh, hopefully we get lots of people coming out just like at the BART uh, 50th anniversary um, last month. So uh, that's a good thing. And I'm making sense of all this legislative stuff, but uh, I'm looking forward to the new jaywalking uh, guidance. I think that uh, there are better things to do than to be citing people for cro from crossing the street. Uh, and uh, just we don't want people getting caught up caught up in that. And also uh, the e-bike bill I think will make it easier uh, for people to ride e-bikes uh, around the state because um, roads and bikeways, uh, they cross through multiple jurisdictions. And Nobody should have to worry about being stopped and turned back at the line. If you can drive a car anywhere in the state, you should be able to ride an electric bicycle anywhere in the state. And electric bicycles use electricity. And they don't generate emissions. much better than those, uh, those gas-powered scooters that I see going down the road. They're very noisy and they smell and all kinds of uh, not-so-good things that come from that. So overall, I think we have a good director's report here, and I hope to be able to participate more in these things, and hopefully we'll get some more electric bicycles out there on the road that I can use. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Dupree. Next speaker, please. We'll finish the online, and we'll have you third. Sure thing. Great. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Great, David Pilpel again. Um, so just two follow-up pieces on the uh, director's report, primarily from the last meeting. Um, I asked at that time, and I ask once again to please post the director's report. There was a slide presentation, and uh, I only saw that during the meeting, and it would be great if that could be posted to the meeting page from September 20th, um, and also to follow up on the emphasis on gender-based harassment. I have seen some of the posters on uh, vehicles, um, but I still inquire if that emphasis is uh, yet reflected in Muni passenger rules and regulations, and if not, will we see uh, changes to, or proposed changes to passenger rules and regulations with appropriate notice before the meeting to uh, incorporate that emphasis on um, avoiding or minimizing gender-based harassment on vehicles. Those are my comments on the director's report. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Are there any other callers online? There are no other callers in the queue. Wonderful. We have someone in the room. Thank you. Hi, my name is Susan Ciutat. I actually came for general public comment, but after hearing the report, I just had a little bit of an emotional reaction because what I didn't hear as a priority is the report that was promised 16 months ago. And I hear a lot of what I would consider luxury projects, street parties, art, but we're dealing with something more basic, which is homeless people having everything taken away from them by SFMTA. And when I grew up, I was taught that you need to do your homework before you can go out and party. 
And SFMTA seems to be planning a lot of festivities without prioritizing a report that we are waiting for and have been waiting for for over a year. And I would really like to see some movement on it because every week the same thing is happening to homeless people. They are having everything they own taken from them by SFMTA. And time is of the essence. Thank you. Thank you. N next speaker, please. Any other speakers on the director's report? Seeing them, we'll close this item and move on to our next item. Places you on item number eight, the Citizens Advisory Council report. We don't have a report on that. Um, places you on item number nine, general public comment. So this is time for members of the public to comment on items not on today's agenda before or after this point, um, but within the subject matter jurisdiction of the SFMTA. If you're online, you can press star three to get in the queue. We're going to start with those in the room. Anyone in the room who'd like to make a general public comment may do so at this time and just approach the podium in the front of the room. If you're going to line up, if there's more than one person, you can line up on the side of the, tele of the TVs. Hi, a familiar face. All of you are familiar to me. <laughs> I am Flo Kelly with the Coalition on Homelessness and now representing the uh, Stop Poverty Toes Coalition. So we heard uh, that Poverty Toes will be on your agenda this fall. We need to know what day, at least a week in advance, when that agenda item will be calendared. We also need that, item, that agenda item to be an action item, not just a discussion item or a listening item, like it was a year ago, more than a year ago. Enough listening, we need action. Many people have spoken, that I have spoken to in the Bayview who live in their vehicles, have said that once their vehicle and everything in it is taken, they give up. They've had this happen before so many multiple times and have not been able to retrieve their, their uh, vehicle and their possessions, the steps that a person has to take moving from one department office to another to try to figure out how they're going to get their vehicle back, what, what fees they have to pay, this and that and the other thing, discounts on tickets and towing are just not enough. Once the tow has happened, the damage has already been done. You will hear from people today who refuse to be erased. <clears throat> they refuse to be treated as a criminal. They raise their heads high and they remind us that they too are neighbors, the same as people who live in their traditional homes. Towing and re-traumatizing people is never a solution to homelessness. In fact, quite the opposite. SFMTA needs to do its part to keep people in their vehicular homes. Please listen to us. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi. 
My name is Allison Francis. Um, I was actually listening to everything, and I have a four-year-old daughter whose name is Phoenix, and a community art day sounds uh, wonderful. I also have a 15-year-old daughter. Um, growing up in the suburbs from here, I came to San Francisco around her age for acceptance and maybe for a, a, a nice street party, but instead I was taken into a home where I was drugged and raped. Um, years later, I find myself juggling the homeless shelters, family shelters and such, um, finding myself in family court, which was very hard to juggle. And um, I ended up living in different sheds and living just homeless on the street until I had my car. Um, you know, fortunately, due to survival techniques, I was able to block things out from when I was a teenager until the trauma had resurfaced. Um, living in a car protected me and shielded me from that. I may be older now, but reliving that, especially after losing my children, which I have back now in my life. I have a new daughter, her name is Phoenix. Um, I was living in Bayview in my car and I was sideswiped um, and possibly I didn't yield. Um, I had woken up that morning and next thing you know when the police had come, I turn around and my car is being towed which was registered, insured. I had pictures, I had belongings that I had planned to bring to my children. Um, and I just, I said, why are you towing my car? Oh, this is my show now. I feel like bullies are being created when laws like this, these are enforced. Um, so I just, I was asked to come here today to share my story and how living in my minivan was protecting me. I'm, I'm sorry, your time is up, but no, did you say that someone, you were there when you were towed? Yes. But Mr. McGuire, can you talk to her please? That doesn't make sense to me. This is about five years ago, okay. I, and then I had my daughter. Yeah. Okay, that's I, that might be. I mean, I, it's my understanding, but thank I, you. We can't have a conversation across here, but I, I want to make sure that we're, we're we're clear on what the policy is. So, Mr. Okay. McGuire, if could, you could just tell her what the, the policy is today. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Next speaker, please. I'm Leslie Sheehan. Um, I just wanted to run through like how complex it is to get your vehicle back if it's a RV or a trailer. For one thing, it goes to the city yard at 850 Bryan. It's only there for four hours. It's You're charged more for moving it from there to the other yard because it's a larger vehicle. You're charged twice as much storage as a car because it takes up twice as much space. Then you have to go and get a release and if it's not registered or it's not in your name, you're screwed. If you want a tow hearing, you have to post the tow fees before they'll even give you a tow hearing, which is gonna be a significant amount considering you've just been displaced. And so all the work and the footwork when you don't even have a place to rest your head is, is really difficult. And I don't know what the solution is, but I don't think towing everybody's vehicle is a good one. So, anyway, thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello, Jordan Smith, back again. Um, so, 
It's been brought to my attention that uh, you guys think pretty much everybody that lives in RVs and stuff are drug users and, uh, you know, basically the lowest part of, lowest common denominator out there on the city. Um, this is not true. Um, I, I don't use drugs. I just quit smoking cigarettes. Uh, I had my, I had somebody throw an axe through my window uh, as I was driving up to my RV a few months ago and Thankfully, because of that, I'm now getting an apartment. Um, but uh, let me tell you, you know, the, some of the coolest people you would ever meet in your entire life live in RVs. It's, I, I originally came to San Francisco to go to school at CCSF because it was free college. Uh, decided that, well, I couldn't afford the rent, and I saw all these RVs, I might as well live in an RV. And so I did that. And uh, I went through about a year and a half of school, and kind of lost the reason why I was going to school, so I stopped going. Um, before that, I was uh, uh, going to culinary school. Uh, just right up the street here, I went to culinary school. Um, didn't live in the RV then, lived in the dorms. But, um, you know, uh, the people here in this city are just really cool people. And uh, um, especially, you know, they're just, some people are poor. They can't. They can't spend three thousand dollars a month on an apartment. It's ridiculous. So, uh, when when thinking about these people, just you know, give them a little bit of credit. Give them a little benefit of the doubt. You know, and because uh, we're all just people too. We're just trying to get along and have a good time and enjoy San Francisco as much as everybody else. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Susan Ciutat. I've been here before. I'm a 23-year resident of San Francisco, and I really want to encourage you to hold this hearing on Poverty Toes as soon as possible. The fall was when you said it would happen, and we really only have four more board meetings that are in the fall. Um, honestly, it seems like there's a little bit of a reverse Robin Hood phenomena going on, at least in the Bayview where auto return tows people's vehicles and then they turn around and sell them at auction. Nobody ever gets their vehicle back. The amount of hurdles that they have to go through would be very difficult even for someone who was housed and had access to a computer and pen and paper and a telephone and a place to sit and take notes. When people get their vehicle towed, they are put into complete survival mode because they are now on the street. They have no place to sleep. They have no clean clothes. They have nothing. So nobody ever gets their vehicle back. And I think it would be really important to look at who's being towed and why and what exactly is going on at auto return. Because from what I've seen from talking to people, it's a racket. Auto return tows their vehicle and then they sell them. And nobody ever gets their vehicle back. And these are people who are really, really struggling. And they're human beings, you know, they're not rodents. Um, so please, let's, the purpose, the idea behind a hearing is to bring people here so you can really get an understanding of what's actually going out there on the street. Because I don't think that you would want it to continue if you could really understand what's happening. And I don't think from where you're sitting, you're really getting a real understanding of what's going on. And we would like to be able to provide that for you. Thank you again for your time and thank you for your service to the city. Thank you.
Chair Barney, if you, I uh, do have three in the queue. Perfect. First caller on the, on the, on the line, please. Um, <clears throat> thank you again, uh, Chair Gwyneth Ford and uh, Alita Dupree, for the record, she and her, as I speak uh, generally. I hope to be in San Francisco again soon and ride Muni. Uh, I do ride it sometimes to certain areas. And um, I certainly think it's important to keep working on Clipper. Uh, I spent uh, a week in Chicago. Don't know if any of you have ever been there. Uh, our friendly neighbor about 2,000 miles to the east. And I use their public transportation system, which there are several parts of it, most notably the L. And uh, they have a card called a Venture Card. And here's one thing I noticed, is that people in Chicago love their Venture Cards, that of all the hundreds and hundreds of people I saw aboard buses and trains, the number of people who use something other than a venture card, I could probably count on one hand. So in Chicago, they welcome and make it easy for people to do this. And I ask that you not presume people incapable of doing Clipper, uh, because Chicago is helping people to use Ventra, and it works really, really well. I have two venture cards myself. So uh, anyway, I had a really good time in Chicago riding their buses and trains. 30 and seconds. I asked, what can we learn from other systems uh, that our Muni can have a polished, <coughs> a very polished transportation system like what I got to experience uh, in, in Chicago. So uh, I hope to get back and ride on the new subway and the Market Street subway and the buses and use electric buses, but I ask of this, that as we build our Muni, please do not presume people incapable. We can all learn and do it. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Paula Katz, K-A-T-Z. I'm surprised that Mr. Tumlin did not report that working with Supervisor Gordon Moore MTA has recognized that L bus riders need and deserve a single seat ride that will take them all the way downtown without having to transfer at West Portal. And that starting in October, MTA will have one L bus an hour go downtown on weekdays. It's a start, but totally insufficient. Please find the necessary resources to restore full service downtown for all the L buses. I also am surprised that Mr. Tumlin did not report to the board that the city attorney told MTA that it didn't have to get the board's approval to stop the LBUS at West Portal, which he reported to us at a community meeting. When I asked him for a copy of the city attorney's written report so we could review the facts they considered in their legal analysis, he said that he didn't want to spend $1,000 to get a written report and that I should ask the city attorney. They won't provide a report for me, but they will for you. I urge the board to ask the city attorney or ask MTA to ask for a written report on whether MTA violated the city charter on July 9th when, without board approval, it ended the L-Bus route at West Portal, eliminating the longer segment to the Embarcadero with more than half the stops. Charter section 16.112B provides that notice shall be given and public hearings held before any significant change in the operating schedule or route of a bus line is adopted. That didn't happen with bus change. 
30 if seconds. The attorney, if the city attorney has decided that changing the L-Bus route is an exception to the charter requirement that the board has to approve significant bus route changes, then the public deserves to know why and the facts and law the city attorney relied upon. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Yes, my name is Charles Belov. I am a resident of San Francisco. My pronouns are he and him. I identify as disabled and I regularly walk through this city. First, there is an accessibility issue with your online board meetings. The constantly scrolling text with call-in information is distracting to me and prevents me from focusing on the meeting content. I have to use my computer software to cover up the scrolling text, which prevents me from seeing parts of presentations. It also forces me to watch a small image because my workaround doesn't work in full screen video. It is also sometimes hard to tell when to call in. Please replace the moving text with a still image containing the call in information and display that information only at the time people can actually call in to comment. Second, please improve signage for people who walk. I walk a lot in this city. I encounter stairways that don't go through to the next street. I encounter sidewalks that end abruptly even though the street continues. And I encounter dead end or no outlet street signs that I can't tell if there's a way through on foot. I am requesting that the board encourage walking by expanding the SFMTA's mission to include improved and increased signage for people on foot. Don't assume people have a smartphone and can check this on a map. This is an equity issue to make walking more accessible and available to all. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. That concludes speakers in the queue. Thank you. We'll move, that will close public comment, move on to our next item then. Places you on item 10, your consent calendar. These items are considered to be routine and will be acted upon by a single vote unless a member of the board or public wishes to consider an item separately. Members of the public listening on the phone, if you wish to address the board on a consent item, press star three so you can be added to the queue. And for all speakers, please identify which item number you are speaking to. Item 10.1. Requesting the controller to allot funds and to draw warrants against such funds available or will be available in payment of the following claims against the SFMTA. Uh, these are listed as items A through D in the agenda. Item 10.2, approving various routine parking and traffic modifications listed as items A through P in the agenda. Item 10.3, adopting a resolution making findings pursuant to AB 361 to allow for continued remote meetings due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Item 10.4, authorizing the director to exercise a lease extension option and execute the first amendment to the lease between Hudson 1455 Market as landlord and the SFMTA as tenant for a portion of the seventh floor at 1455 Market Street, a portion of the first floor and a bike room on the third floor garage for the Transportation Management Center, TMC, for an additional 10-year term effective September 20, 2023, and to authorize the director to exercise, exercise the second lease extension option at the director's discretion if the rent for the second lease extension term is no more than fair market value at that time. And item 10.5, requesting the Board of Supervisors by ordinance to authorize the SFMTA to issue a request for proposals 
for a communications-based train control system to be awarded by a contract with a term exceeding 10 years and to waive the admin code section 21.9A2 prohibition against issuing solicitations for a contract for professional services for a term longer than 10 years, authorize the SFMTA to use negotiated procurement procedures, and to adopt findings under the California Environmental Quality Act. And for the record, we did have an updated ordinance for item 10.5 that is consistent with the staff report and resolution. Directors, you have a copy in front of you. Members of the public in the room, I do have a few copies here. And an updated copy is also on our meeting webpage. That concludes your consent calendar. Thank you. Directors, are there any items you'd like to have pulled from the consent calendar? Seeing none, we'll now open up to public comment. Does, do any members of the public comment have, have a, a comment on any items on our consent calendar? I have one speaker in the queue. Please proceed. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great, it is David Pilpel. So um, I had uh, comments on items 10.4 and 10.5. Um, I'm not entirely clear on which version of the ordinance um, is posted. It doesn't indicate that there was an update, so I'm not clear on that. Since it appears that there is a presentation on 10.5, perhaps uh, we could sever that and have uh, that heard separately. And uh, if you'll allow, I will um, offer my comments on 10.4, and then you can move through that uh, first and separately. Does that work? Yes. Okay, great. Um, so on 10.4, the lease extension for the TMC at 1455 Market Street, the resolution, let me go to that. The resolution in the resolved clause authorizes the Director of Transportation to exercise a lease extension, um, but then the lease extension document itself on page 13 of the packet, which is a weirdly formatted page, by the way, um, has a signature line for the city's director of property, and the resolution does not authorize the director or his or her designate, and certainly does not reference the city's director of property. It also has in the uh, attest uh, box secretary SFMTA board of director singular and not plural anyway that and then it goes on to the following page it's just weirdly formatted on the signature page and again the authorization is the director and not the city's real estate director MTA has considerable space on the third sixth seventh and eighth floors at one South NS something like half of the uh, building space why not have the TMC on the eighth floor where it was originally intended to go thank, thank with work from home? Thank you, Mr. I'm sorry, but your time is up. But you can talk later on the other item because we are going to separate on the train control item. Great. So um, are there any additional speakers? No additional speakers. Great. So what we'll do is... Um, We'll close public comment on the consent calendar, generally severing the 10.5 item. Directors, do I have a motion for the rest of the agenda for the 10.1 through 4? So moved. Secretary Silva, can you please call the roll? On the motion to approve the consent calendar, 10.5 severed. Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. 
Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director Yukutio. Aye. Yukutio, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. The consent calendar is approved. So great. So staff, we can have you uh, just do a brief presentation on the train control item and then the updated uh, resolution related to it. Uh, Julie Kirschbaum, Transit Director. Uh, as a point of clarification, do you want us to run through the PowerPoint that was provided as background information in the calendar item, or I, do you want us to just speak yes. verbally on this item? I do not. I actually <laughs> just thought it, it was very well uh, presented uh, to us. I just thought it might be good to get just some top lines, because I know this is not, there's going to be many opportunities to speak on this. I know we have one, we have colleagues of mine are on, they have their own subcommittee on this item. Um, I just feel like maybe since it's such a large contract, just give us your top line updates, at least for me, that's all I need. Um, so that's how I feel about it. Great, uh, Director Hemminger, you also wanted to say a few words? Yes, and uh, in part in response to Director Yakutiel, um, as he noted, uh, I, I believe, Madam Chair, you created a subcommittee at our last meeting. Um, and since that meeting, the subcommittee has met. Um, it's composed of myself and our chair and vice chair. Um, and we're all going to learn uh, more about technology and train control than we ever wanted to know. Um, I, I think the staff is well prepared in terms of uh, the approach that they're pursuing for the RFP. It's not entirely conventional, uh, which I think is important to emphasize and requires some uh, changes from the Board of Supervisors in order to effectuate. Um, we talked about a couple of particular items at our meeting that will are sort of on the to-do list. One of them is to try to learn lessons from procurements around the world, um, including here in the Bay Area from BART, um, and uh, we, we hope to see them at our next meeting. Um, and secondly, also to get a briefing on the risk management process, uh, which I think candidly has been one of the failures that we've had with some of our other large capital projects uh, where there was not sufficient planning uh, for what happens if things go wrong. Um, and often, as you know, when things go wrong, they take longer to do as well. And when they take longer, you spend more money. So it's this vicious circle that you get into, and the better thing is to not enter the circle at all. Um, so that's a brief update about what the committee is doing, and our intention is to try to meet before each major board action on this contract um, to sh sort of shadow the process and to inform you and your colleagues uh, about what we've learned and our recommendations uh, about what we've learned. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. <laughs> so I think that answers your question, but I think uh, Director Yacudio had a more specific question about just kind of high level for free for uh, Well, I, I appreciate that um, debrief because I, I think it, it flows really perfectly into why we're here today. Uh, this project is focusing intensely on lessons learned from a variety of sources. The current system itself poses a tremendous amount of lessons learned, both good and bad. You know, it has an impeccable safety record. We need to replicate that. 
but the contract was not set up for success. Uh, big projects like Van Ness and Central Subway also provide some really important lessons on how we approach RFP and also how we identify and assess risk at every phase of the project. SFMTA's technology projects, like the radio replacement, are also a source of information, uh, as well as um, the very small handful of domestic peers that have this type of technology, and then broadly looking at Europe and Canada, for examples. Uh, what is before you today is um, basically giving us the authority to ask the Board of Supervisors um, for uh, the ability to do two things. One is to have a negotiated procurement, uh, which is best practice um, and how we do our vehicle contracts. It's really um, extremely helpful when the supplier is doing the design work, but you're trying to push the industry because instead of having to anticipate everything up front in the first round of the RFP, we can put out our intent, learn from the proposals we receive, and then if we need to put out a second uh, round of proposals while keeping all of the potential bidding firms in the process. So it really allows us to get um, the best potential partner for this agency. The, the second piece is asking the Board of Supervisors to waive a restriction that allow, doesn't allow the city to enter into contracts that are longer than 10 years. And we think that's incredibly important because we want to negotiate the support contract for this work upfront during the competitive process, rather than waiting until they're the only show in town and um, we don't have the same kind of leverage. And some of the things we're including, for example, in that support contract are a vendor-managed spare inventory where they have to keep us in stock for parts for a rolling two-year basis. But the vendor's gonna get the same price whether we use hundreds of parts or whether we use no parts. And so rather than them making money when things break, they make money when things don't break. And so it incentivizes in the design process to actually build a, a more stable and more reliable um, process. So still to come is coming back to you for um, authority to issue the RFP. Um, and then there'll be several additional um, uh, installation and consultant contracts coming your way. So you're gonna see me a lot, um, but this particular um, item is a, uh, it's an ordinance request to the Board of Supervisors. Thank you. Any other questions or from other directors? Seeing none, why don't we open it up to public comment? This is time for members of the public who would like to comment on item 10.5, our, our train control uh, RFP procedure process. You I can do good. Sorry about that. I do have one speaker in the queue. Yes, Mr. Pilpo. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yes, we can. Okay. I don't think I got the full two minutes on 10.4, and I certainly didn't get a 30 second uh, warning on that. So I was trying to say that having the TMC on the eighth floor. 
um, would require less space in total and could save uh, up to the 26.8 million over 10 years and replace funds uh, not available from the rejected June 2022 bond measure. On 10.5, there may be some benefits from the teacup uh, program, but it doesn't replace transit planning or the rail service plan that has been promised. I'm wondering if there's been already an RFI or an RFQ, and is there a level of interest for more than one potential vendor, or is this just structuring the entire process uh, to benefit a sole source uh, vendor? That would be problematic in my opinion. And finally, this uh, project shouldn't facilitate forced passenger transfers temporarily or long-term at Church and Market or West Portal for J, K, or L passengers, or anybody else, nor should it allow three car trains on the N Judah or elsewhere on the street. Certainly three or four or even five car trains in the subway are welcome, but not on the street. Um, I have no other concerns at this time on the proposed uh, approach with the negotiated procurement. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Any other additional callers? One additional caller. Next speaker, please. Great. Paula Katz again. I want to discuss both the current system in the tunnel as well as the upcoming system that Julie just spoke about. As you know, parts of Taraville Street have been under construction since 2018 under the Altaraville Improvement Project. A few years ago, MTA announced that when the construction ended and the light Altaraville light rail vehicles resumed operating, that the El Taravel and K Ingleside lines might be interlined at West Portal. This means that the combined K line would run from Mizzou to West Portal and then out to Balboa, and riders on both lines would be forced to transfer at West Portal to ride downtown to save a few minutes in the tunnel. At Supervisor Gordon Moore's transit community meeting last week, we were disappointed when MTA in effect announced that it still is considering this proposal for when the El Taravel train resumes service, hopefully in 2024, although no decision has been made. In normal times, there are over 30,000 daily El Taravel riders and over 40,000 K Ingleside riders, a large majority of whom ride downtown. I hope the board realizes that when the El Taravel train returns, having to transfer at West Portal going to and from downtown would be totally unacceptable for our communities. As you hear about various plans to speed up service in the tunnel now and with the new technology, please don't do it at the expense of the LNK riders by forcing them to transfer to go into the tunnel. It wastes time leaving the trains where you are worn walking into the tunnel and waiting for a day train. 30 it seconds. Be dangerous for, to be dangerous for seniors, people with disabilities, parents with children, et cetera. Residents in the outer sunset are very angry at MTA for all the destruction our community has gone through with the construction on Taravel. When the trains return, don't make it worse by forcing us to transfer at West Portal where we are riding the El Taravel trains that are made to go into the tunnel. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any additional speakers? I have no additional speakers in the queue. So with that, we'll close public comment. Now this matters before this board. I'll move the item. Second. Can you please Second. call if I could just um, add, um, we'll want to amend the uh, item 10.5 ordinance with the updated ordinance. Yes, yes, so that's the motion includes the I'll updated. I'll move the item as amended. Yes. Great. Great. <laughs> On that motion, uh, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. 
Aye. Hensi, aye. Director Yukutiel? Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Chair Borden? Aye. Borden, aye. That amendment has been made. Do you want to take a second uh, motion to approve as amended? Yes. Second move motion to approve okay. as amended. Motion to approve as amended. Seconded. Second. Great. Please call the roll. Okay. On that motion, uh, Director Kahina? Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Hemminger? Aye. Hemminger, aye. Director Hensi? Aye. Hensi, aye. Director Yukutiel? Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Chair Borden? Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. That item is approved. Places you on item number 11, authorizing the director or his designee to execute the second amendment to the transit shelter advertising agreement with Clear Channel Outdoor to exercise the option to extend the agreement for five years through December 7, 2027, adjust the annual minimum guarantee payments as well as administrative and marketing payments, and increase the maintenance and service obligations of Clear Channel. Uh, good afternoon, Chair Borden, Board Members, Jonathan Rewers, Acting Chief Financial Officer. Um, I'm going to run through a very brief, for me, brief presentation on the Transit Shelter Program, kind of updating you and um, updating you on the nature of this contract amendment. So uh, as the Board will recall, when we talked about the budget um, last spring, a key component of the system was talking about the experience of our riders as they come back uh, to the system. But that experience is not just on the vehicle, it starts as early as, as our stops and our shelters and our stations across San Francisco. So the key um, way that we maintain our shelters is through an agreement we have with Clear Channel. Um, that contract has two components to it, one advertising and advertising revenue at the shelters, but also the component of maintenance across um, more than 1,200 shelters across San Francisco. We will never get a deal structured like this again, and a lot of credit goes to my predecessors in setting up a way to offset the cost of the maintenance of this infrastructure with um, the revenues from advertising, but it is an outstanding deal for this organization, so we do want to enter into that last five-year agreement. We will have to go into a future RFP to find a replacement, but this will get us through um, 2027. Um, so I said shelters are a key component of the system. Um, you will get an update on our customer information system project at the next board meeting. So we'll also talk about uh, you know, real-time um, information for our riders to give you an update on that component. But today I'm going to talk about the shelters. You'll see them here on Van Ness. You'll see our uh, platforms along the T-line, and you'll see our shelters throughout the system. So again, when our riders first experience Muni, they experience it at the stop. And so we really want to do take the time to improve that experience, make sure those shelters are clean, make sure they have accurate information, and again, uh, at our next meeting, we'll talk about predictions at those locations. So elements of the contract itself, we really focused on rather making this a pure revenue contract, focusing on the service component of it, and how, again, we can improve the experience for our riders. So one component of the contract that I'll talk about is the minimum annual guarantee, which is pure revenue that comes to the MTA from Clear Channel. That is already assumed, both in our five-year financial plan and in the adopted budget. The maintenance of the shelters, a new component is an asset management program for our shelters and doing a refresh campaign across the city. Um, advertising, so a component of that is we will be able to advertise when we need to on our shelters for various campaigns that we have at the MTA, and then the ownership of the shelters themselves, which will be transferred to the MTA at the, comp at the end of this um, contract. So here you'll see um, the MAG payment. So MAG is minimum annual guarantee. Um, so these revenues come to the MTA no matter if Clear Channel sells $1 of advertising or up to $7 million of advertising. 
The result of this contract will be that the MTA will pretty much get 100% of the projected income that is expected to be raised through advertising across the shelters. Again, the 7 million and 7.8 million were assumed in the budget that you adopted, so there is no financial impact to the budget. And then you'll see as recovery occurs in the city with many of our revenue sources, that scales up. In the final year, you'll see it's half of a fiscal year. That's why you see that, that differential in the amount, but that reflects that. Um, overall, the value is 56.4 million to the agency. On the maintenance um, of the shelters themselves, um, a key component of the contract going back 15 years um, was equality across the system. So everybody experiences the system the same. Um, I think it is a value of this organization that we focus on equity and we really think about what neighborhoods need and different conditions of different infrastructure across the city. So we worked very closely. It took us seven months of negotiations, but we will be increasing maintenance um, by 50% across the system. So we're gonna go from two days a week to three days a week of maintenance um, across the shelters and on the platforms, we'll go to five days a week. We also have the flexibility built into the contract to make adjustments based on needs across the system. The contract as it stands before this amendment really tied both Clear Channel and the MTA's hands on being able to make those kind of day-to-day -day maintenance adjustments, but we will now be able to do that. In addition, and hopefully you'll get to hear from her, um, I have appointed Lisa Ising to be the new manager and superintendent of our shelter program. In the past, you know, it's really been more contract administration and managing the contract and revenue component. Um, it's important to me that this focuses more on maintenance and operations in the field. That is Lisa, she has 20 years of specialty in that in public works and amongst our own buildings and grounds group. So she will be out in the field working with Clear Channel day to day to resolve customer complaints and issues that we see across the city. Um, on the one key component and change in the contract is taking an asset management approach. So the next item after this happens to be our annual state of good repair program. I'm very proud that I think we kind of set the standard within the industry. And so we applied that to this type of asset, our, our transit shelter. So what we've asked Clear Channel to do is hire an independent contractor, do a visual inspection of all of our um, shelters across the city, and come up with a scoring criteria like we would have for any other type of asset in which we will understand the condition of all of our shelters across San Francisco. And then those that are deemed in poor condition, and the criteria is in your presentation here, um, we will implement a refresh campaign across the city, replacing glass, removing graffiti, in some cases completely removing the shelter um, uh, and starting brand new. Um, the refresh campaign will include $3 million that Clear Channel will be providing. In addition, we'll be increasing the number of digital advertising shelters across the city. Believe it or not, those tend to hold up pretty well. Um, and so we'll be uh, increasing the number of those across the city. Uh, and you'll see the scoring process here. Um, in addition, when it comes to advertising in the past, the MTA could take advantage of advertising if it was available and not necessarily in the areas of the city where we needed to get our particular message out to the public. So as part of this contract amendment, Clear Channel will be providing us a million dollars of free advertising when we need it, where we need it um, across the city. So that's a good $6 million of value that will come to the organization. It will really help us uh, with outreach, campaigns, um, notifying people about fair changes and other products we'll be providing San Francisco. And then finally, on the ownership, typically between contracts, what would occur is there would be an appraisal and either the city would have to purchase the shelters back, we do not technically own them, or the subsequent contractor would purchase them from the prior contractor and then take over the maintenance of the assets. 
Instead, at the end of this contract, the MTA will become the owner um, at no cost to the organization. The estimated book value at 2027 of the shelter infrastructure is $6 million. Um, so kind of to sum it up, um, the result of this contract amendment will be $56 million in revenues for the agency, um, a 50% increase in maintenance. Um, I think that's about a doubling of the staff. Um, so it's a doubling of the maintenance staff. Um, $6 million in capital investments, a million dollars a year in advertising, and then the MTA becoming the full owner of the shelters at the end of the contract. Um, in addition, just kind of some elements on the overall operations of this program. So again, we've moved from contract management to street operations as kind of the focus. So Lisa works in real time with our Department of Public Works, the police department, the HOT team, and the Department of Public Health to resolve issues in a real, on a real-time basis, and working in partnership with Clear Channel. Um, in addition, as part of the budget, we did set aside um, dollars to support Lisa and her work in the field. Um, with the Department of Public Works, so I thank members of the board who came up with these suggestions to have supportive street cleaning and other elements to supplement the work of Clear Channel in and around our shelters, um, support infrastructure from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, and then also um, a work order with the police department to help with issues and other disruptions that occur at our stops. So again, we can respond to those issues in real time. If people recall, the prior way was you call 311 and then there's a certain response time. The way we're setting up the operation, again, is to make it more real time so as we hear things from operators or members of the public through the TMC, Lisa can immediately respond and kind of marshal those resources to deal with them in the field. So that is it, and I'm happy to take any questions. Director Cudio. Thank you so much, and colleagues, if you'll forgive me, this is an issue that I've taken a keen interest in, and I have a few questions. First, I just want to say thank you. I know that the negotiations at this point, you know, it, it's been a long set of negotiations, and I know uh, both parties worked really hard to come up with a contract that could work for both. Um, and I just want to say on the outset, I'm really, really glad and proud of the work that was done, and it looks like a great amendment. Um, thank you for the additional cleaning um, from two to three. Thank you for the additional staff. Thank you for the million dollars of, uh, of advertising. Uh, on the most part, I, I think the contract is good, but I have some specific questions, and then there's one particular piece of the contract that I would ask my colleagues to consider amending. So first is on the cleaning. In the additional cleaning per week, has the actual act of the cleaning changed at all? What's required, the amount of time, um, the kind of... The digital shelters. So, you know, on our standard shelter, we just have kind of fixed ads. That three million is that we'll replace those fixed ad shelters with, with the digital shelters that you see. One, it's, it's originally, no one knew that, what the technology would be when this contract originally went into place. Second, we actually find that they're not vandalized as often as the fixed shelters with the ad boxes. So this is an element that we can add to San Francisco that Clear Channel is willing to do. On top of it, it also supports the agency getting the ad revenues, right? That the mag is met and that those dollars are in place to pay for the maintenance and other elements. So there was a twofold. One, we clean up the shelters and replace them where there's vandalism and other issues. Second, it supports Clear Channel's ability to meet the mag and, and meet the, the revenue expectations of the program, and third, that in turn funds the increased maintenance and other asks we have a clear channel in the contract. I see that, but I'm just wondering how much money is allocated to actually fix the things other than replacing it with more digital advertisement? That, so that's a different three million that's, okay, 3 that's million. part of the, the refresh campaign over okay. numerous years, yeah. 
Thank you. And I just have a few more. Um, so there's the refresh, and then there's uh, the system for when there's an issue and a cleaner can't actually clean it. And so, uh, you know, I know that if there is someone living in a shelter or, or has occupied a shelter in some way, sometimes the cleaner can try to move them, and if they feel mm -hmm. uncomfortable or in fear of their life, they, they move on. Um, of course, if it's cleaned twice or three times a week, that means that it is possible that if someone has taken up shop in a bus shelter, that shelter is not getting cleaned. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so my worry is in the areas where we need our shelters to get the most attention, uh, it is possible that they're getting the least amount of attention because of the system we have now. So if you can explain kind of how this contract changes that and what process should yeah, be in place so that our shelters can get the cleaning they need. So the one problem we've had with, with having an encampment in a shelter, it's been very difficult to, to properly relocate them so that we can clean the shelter. I think now that we have um, the police department actually on board with a budget, I'm gonna have a lot better success actually having them come out and address the shelter concerns proactively. You know, we're paying them to help us with it. And the shelters are considered facilities. So we're working around the or city ordinances that also say you can't have encampments within six foot of a shelter. So I'm just gonna, if we can help enforcement, it makes it a lot easier for Clear Channel that they can just come by, clean the shelter, power wash it, and then everybody's happy. It's nice and clean, it smells good, you can read everything, the graffiti's been cleaned, so that's that's our goal with that. So is the idea here, because I saw there were additional work orders for the Department of Homelessness, Public Works, and, and PD, is the idea in the areas where this has become an issue to go out before it gets cleaned and try to make sure that folks aren't in there, so at least so that we can clean the shelters? Yes. And do we know where those areas are already, or is that gonna take time? Yeah, we have, it's, it's concentrated around Tenderloin, Mission, Market Street, um, in some other various areas. We're even seeing a lot of vandalism on Van Ness on the new BRT. Okay, um, the last- Can, can I add one thing? So you bring up an important point in, in how we've changed the process to manage the operations on the street, which again, was really based on 311. And so people would call in, you know, the areas where they're not seeing a response, I think to your point, people would just give up and stop. And so focusing all the response around shelters on 311, I think is one of the areas that we completely fixed. So one was having Lisa, who's out in the field day to day. Believe it or not, the number one point of um, issue comes from our operators. Like our operators actually tell us where the issues are in the shelter continuously. Those now go to the TMC and go directly to Lisa and she's out in the field responding. Then she can be in front and we'll have the support of Public Works, DPH, you know, Homelessness Department and police to be able to resolve those issues again in real time. It's not the series of 311 complaints, somebody follow up. We're trying to deal with these things in real time and I think you know, that, that's what Lisa's talking about. She will be able to do that and get in front of it. Yeah, I think, and I think my colleague, Director Kahina, will bring this up. In the meeting that we had with Clear Channel, uh, you know, this 311 process was brought up to us, and I think independent of each other, we both came to the meeting with our own uh, personal experience with using 311. I personally had, it was 84 days before the bus shelter that I was 311-ing had any movement on it, and I think for her it was over 1,000 days. And so I'm glad that, we're moved, that we have folks on our team going out there and that we're not relying purely on uh, public, you yeah, know, 311 requests. The last thing is on preventative measures. One of the things I heard loud and clear from Clear Channel is they go out there, they clean it, and it gets broken and graffitied. And so I wanted to ask, um, and also I guess just create space uh, for putting into place preventative measures on the hardest hit bus shelters 
so that we're not asking our contractor to continue to do work day in, day out uh, if there's something we could do to actually prevent some of this damage from happening. And, you know, it's, the glass is, is our number one, well, it's the number one cost, and it's probably the most labor-intensive. You know, so that's all laminated safety glass, which is why when it's broken, it doesn't produce uh, sharp shards. But at the end of the day, it's extraordinarily expensive to continue to replace this broken glass. So, and, and I think you've seen this in some cases, especially on Market Street, we're removing the back glass and putting bars in at the benches. Now, it's not the most attractive thing, but it really does kind of minimize this, this broad canvas that we've got of glass where they can get acid etched or they just get broken out. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be sustainable to continue to replace this broken glass over and over again. So we are looking at bars and we're talking about also installing expanded metal in some areas where the glass just isn't, it's just not practical. Um, so we'll still have some protection, you'll still have a roof, but the, you know, instead of having a back bar or instead of having back glass, you'll either have a back bar or we'll do some expanded metal installations. Okay, uh, thank you very much. And thank so I you. guess I'll, I'll finish there and just say on the refresh plan, I think we should get it assessed and done within 60 days. And in, 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 the, in the slide deck, it said brought up to uh, above minimum score. But I think what I would like to see is that all of our shelters are brought up to what here is two points, so the high score, so that everything looks uh, good and new and fresh because our city uh, needs to reflect where we are right now. We need to attract business back, our customers back, and restore trust in people who take our system. So thank you very much. Thank you. Director Hindi. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate my colleague, Director Yukutio's uh, leadership and, and passion on this issue and uh, extensive questioning. I, I, had, I had a couple of questions, one for Lisa, and then I think um, a couple for Jonathan on the fiscal side. So I guess my question operationally, and I know, Lisa, you said that um, we were shifting away from a, a 311 complaint based to more to you had your standard route every day uh, plus the 311 complaints but with those 311 complaints under this contract say I'm a member of the public and I file a, uh, a shelter complaint through 311 sort of what's your standard process for that are, are there a certain number of days are there minimum standards held to uh, that are held under the contract, or do you just sort of blend it into your uh, existing route and wait till you go to see? So what are the minimum standards if a person files a complaint? And if you could sort of describe the process of what you do after you get a 311 complaint that comes to you. So when, when we get the 311 complaints, we, we turn them immediately over to Clear Channel, and they often get um, some of them directly. We have within the contract a liquidated damages clause that they have to abate graffiti within a certain time frame and also replace broken glass within a certain time frame. Um, so we're trying, to, and we're trying to be way more proactive about it um, instead of waiting for 311 calls. We're hoping that our increased maintenance um, three times a week are going to identify problems ahead of time that we're not going to have to wait for a 311 call. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I, I, think, I think so. Um, we're, we're, which is we're going to be proactive and, and 
hopefully try to prevent the need for uh, 311 reporting. Um, and we try to get the 311 complaints resolved as soon as, as soon as possible. Is that the? Yes. Yeah, the, we, yeah we, we, do, we want to have an immediate turnaround because graffiti is, is, and it's fairly easy to clean for Clear Channel. They have an amazing system right. for doing it. So they can squeegee it off. Then they, like I said, they power wash the shelter um, so they're nice and fresh and clean. And then we also want to make sure that our wayfinding's um, all up to date so that we have current maps, that we have our, our decals for our routes are in place. And I'm, I'm going to be glad to report back in 60 days and tell you the improvements we made and the plans that we have to refresh the um, shelters. Yeah, I think a follow-up um, hearing on this uh, in roughly 60 days of a meeting would be a, a good sort of benchmark. I just did have a couple of questions uh, fiscally on the uh, the contract. So, Jonathan, you you say that the the the, um, the refresh campaign um, portion of the contract is roughly three million dollars. Yes. I just want to uh, sort of see if you have a, a rough approximation of how many shelters that we, uh, how many of our twelve hundred shelters you think we can. Uh, get re refreshed at uh, at that um, okay. at that sort of amount of money that we have for the program. I know yesterday you said um, several of, of them would be repairing the glass and mm -hmm. maybe repairing the roof, et cetera. So. so Lisa just gave me the estimate because they've been thinking about that already. So the estimate is that we'll be able to handle about 400 of our shelters completely with the refresh on top of adding new shelters to the system any cleaning and improvements we'll make through the digital. So that that's pretty good. That's that's nearly a okay. like a good third of them. So third. that's better than I thought even. So about 400 then, shelters. The 3 3 million is over the course of the five years. It is. So so again, we're taking an asset management approach. So we'll be constantly doing evaluations of the shelters. The, the condition assessment report, which we can speed up, was really to set the baseline so we can measure improvements year over year. So it sometimes we will need to replace a shelter or just completely fix it. We do that under the current contract, but we don't necessarily do it in a planned way. What happens is we do the day-to-day -day maintenance. We try to keep up with that. We try to keep up with health and safety issues in the field. And then, as Lisa said, and we all know, like we get this ridiculous backlog that is the concern of a lot of San Franciscans. And what we want to try to yeah. do is not end up in that backlog scenario. That's good asset. We're going to talk about backlog in a second. We don't want to get to backlog. So the whole structure of the service on the MTA level, how we've structured the contract amendment, is to clear the backlog and have a reasonable expectation, as Director UQTL said, of anybody using our system has a certain expectation of what that experience will be like. Okay. And, and then, because this was a this was a part of our our shelter program that was new to me. You mentioned the work orders. Do, mm -hmm. uh, do you have an estimate of the total number of work orders we have for for shelter shelter help shelter help maintenance help? Oh, that answer is zero. We had none before we 
we reshape the program. So largely we were completely reliant on Clear Channel for the work. And I think this board and, and the director of transportation, like we need to take a holistic approach to, to how we're doing this. So with the Department of Public Works, we'll work with them on the work order to clean the streets and work on it. Um, Lisa is on the daily meeting about you know encampments and issues around homelessness in the city. She participates in that call every morning. So again, we're trying to move this away from just a pure revenue administrative contract to an operation in which there's a certain expectation of experience and follow-up from the MTA. So, so do we have, we have those work orders in place? We, we, we set aside money in the budget um, when we got the feedback about this to be able to have these work orders in place. What we've done is enhanced existing work orders, like we have a regular work order with the Department of Public Works, but we never set a component of that aside to provide supplementary support on the streets for cleaning and other needs. Okay, so I think another thing would be to make sure we have those work orders in place um, we seem to be setting a sort of a 60-day checkmark point for ourselves. So I don't know if it's possible. If we if we have the work orders that we need in place by that 60-day deadline, I think that would be a good. Sort of uh, I I will add that to the report back in 60 days. Yes, we can okay. do that. Perfect. Thank you, Chair. Director Kahina. Thank you, Chair Borden. Um, I also wanted to um, thank my colleague, Director Yacudio, for his energy around this. I think that both of us have experienced a lot of um, disheartening experiences with transit shelters. Um, I, for one, my personal experience, I've seen caution tape around um, bus shelters for an inordinate amount of time, um, through on one uh, tickets that have not been addressed for more than a thousand days, a thousand twenty to be exact, um, and it's it's been a challenging experience as a transit rider, as a community member, as a community advocate, and so I just want to start by congratulating um, Jonathan, uh, the folks at Clear Channel, everyone on this board that has put a real central focus on this issue, trying to really operationalize a better way to have some more oversight over this process because it has been a pain point for a lot of folks that um, have had an experience riding the bus, are new to riding the bus, um, tourists, and like all these different folks um, that are engaging or re-engaging um, with the system for the first time. Um, and so it really does shape one's experience. Um, so thank you for all the work that you have done on this. Um, the wonderful thing about contracts like this is that I feel that it is one of those agreements that really helps us operationalize our equity goals. So it is my firm understanding, or my firm belief rather, that every decision that comes before us is a way for us to, to be more truthful to that, to really be held accountable by the public to really further our equity goals. And so um, this one in particular um, rings true for me. So um, I do want to um, ask a few questions about, um, I'll start with the backlog. <laughs> so um, is, is the hope with this refresh that we're going to tackle the backlog as well? 
Yes, and, and we sort of started the process this fiscal year of um, getting the materials in place to move on this pretty rapidly. So pending this amendment, we've sort of allowed Clear Channel to hold back on their payments, but use that cash, sort of like in the larger sense, to start buying glass and start buying equipment so we could do a mass refresh as quickly as possible. So even within the authority we have under the agreement now, we've started that process, hoping that you will all agree to the ultimate amendment, but we wouldn't like, Director Yukutiel's brought up, I mean, we really wanted to start right away. We, we didn't want to wait. So I think, um, if I remember correctly, Bob can correct me if I'm wrong, but we've already purchased 800,000 in glass. Like, we're, we're ready to go out there and do that. Lisa already knows where a lot of the problems are. I think actually helping with the 60 days, like, we will get out there, and we really, really want to go out there and do the work. Clear Channel wants to hire up the crews to make it happen. Like, we've got everything ready to go um, as soon as we get, you know, the authority from both you, the Port Commission, and the Board of Supervisors. So we're, we're pretty serious about it. The backlog was a key element of that. It's how we scaled the refresh campaign, where and how we were going to get it done. So we're, we're all pretty serious about making it happen. And I encourage the Board to hold us accountable to it. And so um, we have a timeline for the assessment. Can you give me a timeline for the backlog? Um, usually, I, I think we were running at least 90 days behind on the backlog. I think it will be our priority with the first phase of the refresh campaign to clear the backlog. Like, that was always the intention. And then through this constant, you know, where it's more than cleaning, we need to do, like, physical repairs to continue the refresh um, that way. Bob, do you want to come up and talk about the backlog? Hello again. We have about um, 70, 75 days of backlog um, that's in place. Um, as uh, Jonathan said, um, we have gone and we have ordered um, materials oh, uh, around a million dollars, so it's closer to a million dollars. Uh, those should um, land in December here, so we'll be able to hit the ground running. Uh, with the additional repair people and uh, the other folks that we have, you know, we're anticipating being able to work through that backlog and, and get it down. Now, it's never going to be that there isn't any work to do. I think we all know what's happening on the streets that we live in, right? So we're part of that ecosystem. So there's always going to be things to do. Um, you never know when you're going to get a spike in that type of activity. Um, so I think that, you know, at any point in time, you know, we're going to have 20, 25 days of things for those um, repair crews to handle, but we should get that work through relatively quickly once we get staffed up and we have the materials on hand and we have ordered the materials. Is that what you're looking for? Um, yes. Um, so it seems like an acceptable amount of backlog is 20 to 25 days. Is that, is that correct, more or less? And yeah, we're I think currently that's, at 70 or 77? That's what we have for run rates with acid etching. That's what we have for run rates with vehicles running the cars. That's what we have for run rates um, with uh, people tackle, tackle, uh, tapping into the electrical problems. That's what we have you know, when they're breaking ad cans and things like that. So there's an awful lot that we deal with, and I know that you're aware of it. Um, right. And we're we're proud to be making progress and to be partnering partnering with the SFMTA staff, and I commend uh, Jonathan, Jonathan and Lisa for their work. Great, it, and so um, it seems like we would start addressing the backlog um, in December, um, based on what you said, or is that, is that accurate? 
Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, we didn't want to wait for all of this to pass to get right. started. So we've already pre-authorized Clear Channel to purchase the equipment to do it. The amendment is what allows them to hire the staff, right? They, they need some sort of contractual guarantee. Lease is already out there. So as much work as we can do in front of this starting essentially now, you know, there, there are some logistics issues. I mean, we've had issues in ordering the glass, which is why we didn't want to wait until after the contract amendment to order it and then wait, you know, four months for the glass to show up. We authorized them to do that when the fiscal year started. So I think, you know, 21 days might be a little much for, for a severe issue. But again, that's why we have Lisa to be in the field. You know, we've had issues. I mean, a lot of people read in the press the issues that were going around the 24th Street BART station. A lot of that stuff was actually at our shelters. I mean, there were issues, you know, in the BART plazas, but... You know, Lisa was out there with the Department of Public Health, with the Department of Public Works, with the police department, trying to resolve a lot of the issues out there. And we were able to do that and keep it clean and allow people to get access to the transit system. So she, I, I seriously doubt she will let things go on that long if it's a if it's a severe issue. If it's an issue of ordering an ad box, you know, there are lo the logistics issues around that and then and then getting it in place. But again, hold us accountable to what is acceptable. And if it's not acceptable, Lisa and I will work on a way to, to try to get something reasonable. Absolutely. So I, I would say like in those 60 days, um, when you come back, Lisa, to give us um, a report back on the assessment, um, I would love to see an update on the backlog as sure. well. Um, additionally, with the assessment, um, I would appreciate to see like an overlay of our equity neighborhoods yep. to really understand um, what the assessment looks like per neighborhood. Um, I have some assumptions and a lot of inferences about what it's going to look like, but <laughs> I want to see what the, what the data tells us. Um, and so in terms of the customer experience, I do want to understand a little bit more um, I'm a transit rider, and I see my bus shelter damaged. I report it to 311. What, what should I expect after that? What happens right after that? Do you want to? So what, what issue are you reporting at that shelter? Let's say I see um, the glass is broken. The glass is broken? So the, the, they have a very short period of time. I think it's two days to make the glass safe. And I think we have 45 days to replace the glass. OK. 45 days. That, I mean, I'm just telling you that's, yeah, because it's, okay. we had some pretty unrealistic um, turnaround times. You just couldn't get materials that fast. Um, they couldn't get, the other thing, don't forget, we, we really can't impact transit. So we're trying to do a lot of this work around either uh, non-peak hours or non-revenue. Um, and also, yeah, so anything on a rail too is, has some particular um, issues. So um, yeah, that's, that seems, you know, and we're going to do the best we can. I have, have no problem coming back and reporting to the board on our progress. I'm invested in this. Thank you so much. And I appreciate, like, the fact that you're part of this, too, um, and the reframing of this as asset management. I think that's, that's brilliant, and I'm so glad that we're doing that. Um, I also want to understand um, some neighborhoods need more maintenance than others. And so I do want to understand how we're going to implement the flexibility that this contract allows us to have um, and also understand what tools in the toolbox that we have to also hold um, our contractor accountable or even our agency partners that we're partnering with accountable to help us on, in that what? effort. You're asking all my favorite questions. <laughs> so um, that is a fan. So like I said during my, my presentation, 
the prior contract was really focused on revenue and focused on equality across the system. Like everything gets two days a week, everything gets this. And that's just not true in real life. Like there is different use, there are different people, there are different neighborhoods, they have different needs. And so the way the contract was written really constrained our ability, because Clear Channel staffed up and resourced to meeting that you know, equal distribution of service across the city. And because it's a written contract, our hands were tied on our ability to redirect those resources to other areas of the city that needed it. We have completely changed that in this contract. So it's three days a week, so we've increased the baseline, but we've also added components of the contract that allow Lisa, based on her understanding of what's going on in the field, to change like the maintenance routes or times or focus or even if we need to go two days in some places and four days in another to do that, we've also created the flexibility across the mag that if we want to buy additional maintenance you know, at the direction of this board, we have the flexibility within the contract to do that. We didn't before. So there's specific language in the contract that if there's a certain area where we need to go five days a week of maintenance, there's going to be a cost to the agency as there is with any service, but we can do that within the contract. This amendment has language that will allow us to do that. So again, it's an operational asset management approach. It gives Lisa as the superintendent the flexibility to work with Clear Channel on the needs across the city based on both real-time information 311 and what's necessarily needed to improve the experience for our riders in certain neighborhoods. And um, walk me through how we would know when we need to buy additional maintenance or when we need to add more to this? Like how does that decision like go forward? So, yeah, so I'll, I'll let you, like one was to set the baseline with the condition assessment, which right. should, should set the general plan and we should do that with any type of infrastructure we have in the MTA. But then Lisa's out in the field and she's getting reports from the TMC and others, so I'll kind of talk about her daily work. Well, no, and I live here too. So, <laughs> and I'm in the okay. southern part of the city, so I ride the T line a lot, right? And a lot yeah. of people don't pay attention to the T line and it gets hammered on a pretty regular basis. And a lot of the stuff in the Bayview, um, so we wanna make sure we're not just paying attention to the Tenderloin, but we need to refresh some areas in the Bayview as well. And we wanna show if we're advertising, say by the, by the ballpark, we should also be doing a way better job at Sunnydale end as well. So right. um, we wanna kinda, for equity, I think they should all be nice and clean and look good um, across the city. So we wanna make sure the same amenities are in some of our, our neighborhoods that need equity that they have in the other neighborhoods. So benches, lighting, you know, lit up um, map, map cases, all of that. So, and, and it's my neighborhood. <laughs> thank you, Lisa, I'm gonna hold you to that. Um, but honestly, I just wanna thank everyone for listening and for actually structuring this agreement so that it gives us the flexibility that we need to really address the concerns for our writers and the members that, and the folks that engage in our, in our system. So thank you so much. Thank you, Director Heminger. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. I really don't have anything on the contract, but maybe uh, two quick items, Lisa, for your inbox as the new boss. Um, one of them is I think you're absolutely right about the glass, and I think we're fighting a losing battle. If it were up to me, I'd take the glass out of every damn shelter in the city um, because they're all going to get busted into by some knucklehead sooner or later, and I think it's never going to rain in California ever again anyway. Um, 
<laughs> Secondly, Jonathan, you mentioned, uh, I think you were talking about the next bus travel time signs, and we're getting a briefing on that at our next meeting, did you say? Yes, we will be giving you a full update on the well, project. Well, since you're here meeting. and since it's on my mind, um, <laughs> when's that going to get done? And could you possibly start with the bus shelter that's across the street from City Hall? I've been on this board for three years, and I, that bus shelter has had a busted um, next bus thing that whole time, three years. Um, and it looks like someone took a, a flame to it at some part, part in its life. Uh, I gotta say, that w when you have that kind of visibility, it, it really erodes any kind of public faith or tolerance for the whole program, right? Because they can't even keep the one in front of City Hall in good repair. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what's the answer on that? So I've got some amazing Lisa's. This is Lisa Icing, that's Lisa Walton. Um, I, will, I will take that back. We are finishing up the, the first phases of the project, which is largely the technology infrastructure, so we can give real-time predictions and fix the signs. We're piloting them, so you'll see them along Van Ness right now. That's supposed to be done towards the end of the year, and then we've got a second phase of improvements that will start in March. We are not only replacing the existing next best system, but if the board recalls, there are a series of enhancements and improvements we're making on top of that. And Lisa will give you a full update on everything we're gonna be doing, when it's gonna be happening. But towards the end of the year, if I remember my briefing from yesterday, it was around November, December, where we were really gonna kick off um, a lot of work. It might even be sooner than that, but I'm hedging, but it will be before the end of the year. Okay, thank you. Thank you. To Director Yacudio. Thank you, sorry for, to use Director Heminger's phraseology, taking two bites out of the apple. But I just have, uh, I wanted to make sure I said this uh, before we move any further, which is uh, even though I have been frenemy critical of the state of our shelters, I do wanna make it very clear that never for a second do I question the work ethic or the dedication of the staff that's out there at all hours of the day and night cleaning these things. I was at at Dolores Park this morning at six in the morning, talking to a gentleman cleaning graffiti off of the bus shelter at 20th and Church. Okay, so I understand, and I have seen with my own two eyes as a member of this board, how hard these women and men work to keep these shelters clean. I think the issue is that we have a contract that was built at a time when San Francisco, frankly, had less to worry about, and less uh, knuckleheads who were breaking this stuff down, and so I think it's the right time to be reviewing it, but I, I never question the work ethic of the people doing uh, this hard work. I just had two small questions. One is the hiring for the additional repair and maintenance workers. When is it, that, when is it uh, supposed to be completed? What's the timeline for that in this contract? Because I think so much of this does hinge on that. We are running parallel paths in anticipation of this amendment happening. So we um, are planning on having seven people of the 12 hired before the end of the year. Um, and they are Teamsters, they're working in other parts of um, um, our operation right now. So, and then we've, you know, obviously looking to hire five additional people. Great, thank you very much. Uh, and the last thing I'd say before I guess I'd make my amendment is, um, it th 45 days seems like too long to get repairs like uh, new glass, new doors, uh, kind of basic infrastructural repairs. 
it just seems like that's too long to make people wait. And I guess the question is, is there any way that this material could be stockpiled so that we're not waiting on new orders every time or having, uh, you know, ha having it so that 45 days to get, you know, broken, a broken advertisement door or nuts falling off or whatever, uh, I just feel like we can do better. I think I agree. What do you think is a reasonable amount of time to expect? I wouldn't push it more. Pa I, I think here's like I think 30 days would probably be I know you'd like to see it sooner but just to be given the amount that we have I think 30 would probably be just about the tightest that we could make it and I mean am I over committing okay um, I well then maybe the Christine or City Attorney can help me. I know in the contract there's specific language on repairs, uh, but where it says 45 days to complete those repairs, if we could amend that to 30, and if we don't mind adding uh, a request that the assessment of the refresh be done 60 days from this vote, and that within six months of this vote we have a uh, report back on exactly which shelters were fixed and what was done to them. So this is a contract with penalties built into it. The, I mean, I would be more interested in finding ways to make sure that we can incentivize rapid repair, but I also don't want to be unrealistic, set this contract up for failure, and our bidder up for, fa for failure, um, particularly at this point in the negotiations. Jonathan, would you like to speak to this issue? Yeah, I, my recommendation to the board is, I, I think Lisa and I, I think a lot of your requests are reasonable and, and you know, we want to get this started more than anybody else. We want to get through this process. So I would leave the agreement as it is. Lisa and I can, can get on clear channel just with our authority today to make it happen. And there are tools in the contract we haven't necessarily used, but we can use. And Bob knows I'm very good at incentives to, to make things happen. My recommendation, though, is that you do amend the resolution and you know, ask the director of transportation, which he will pass on to us, to report back in 60 days on the condition of the shelters with an update on the refresh campaign and all of the elements that you requested. I, we can absolutely do that. And I think, you know, Susan, the power of the resolution compels us, so we will make it happen. Yeah, I, I, I still think that I, I would like additional teeth in this resolution. So I would like to see the assessment completed in 60 days. I've yep. heard from you that that's feasible. We can do that. That is something that our staff will be doing in concert with them. Mm -hmm. And then I think asking to report back within six months just to tell us what's been done. That's I, fine. I, I want to know what's been done within six months. I want to know how many shelters were fixed and what was done to them, yep. including the backlog. We can I'm, do that. I'm hearing that that's feasible. To me, that doesn't sound like a poison pill, and so that is the kind of teeth that I want to see. Yeah, but I, I, I think what Director Tumlin is saying, please don't modify the terms of the agreement because that just is complex and impacts our legislative schedule, but the direction and holding us accountable through a report back, sure. absolutely But in, in the contract, in the actual language, does it put into writing that it's, it gives them six months to... And hire we, a contractor we, we to will do tell an assessment? Them, we will tell them no and start now. That, that We will start tomorrow. If you direct us, remember, the director of transportation works for you. So minus this contract, you could direct him to produce a report on the condition of our shelters at any time. So my recommendation is that you add a, where, a, a resolution, a resolved, 
that the Director of Transportation report back in 60 days with the condition assessment of all of our shelters across San Francisco, and within six months report back on um, progress made around that condition assessment. I, we can absolutely do that. Agreed. Okay, that's fine. As long, I'm happy to, to, to do it that way. Where I saw in the contract amendment, it just says within 30 days of the plan is issued or such other time that is reasonable uh, that you prioritize the repairs. So I guess in your, slide deck, it said, that. In your slide deck it said you know, half the time it took to construct the Golden Gate Bridge. And here it's saying kind of whenever, uh, after 30 days when the plan is issued. So if that's okay, I just want to make sure that the actual language does not... That, I th yes. Okay. And we hear your direction clearly and we'll act in the direction. What we're asking is to not modify the contract, which will require a renegotiation and set us back by months. I hear you. Okay. All right. Then I think I'm done. I appreciate all of the hard work thank you. that has gone to this. And thank you, Bob, as well, for all of your hard work and the whole team. Thank you. Are there any more items from directors? If not, we'll open it up to, we already did public comment, right? Didn't, no, we, we did, did not. not okay. <laughs> I thought Mr. Pilpel required, oh, that's different, sorry. <laughs> uh, now we'll open it up to public comment. Anybody who would like to comment on our outdoor contract? I do have one speaker card for Mark Gleason. Mr. Gleason, welcome. Good afternoon, directors. Mark Gleason, I'm here on behalf of Teamsters Joint Council 7 and our sister local, which represents these workers at Clear Channel, which is Teamsters A53. I'll start by saying, uh, as much as there's good news of anything, that we do have a long-term labor harmony. We just did complete uh, the new three-year agreement uh, with Clear Channel, and it's been ratified. So uh, there won't be any of those sorts of things that are gonna be coming in the way of this, this great new project that our members are looking forward to. I believe we're gonna have a member also testify um, on the speaker in a minute who actually does this work. Um, uh, one thing I'd like to pick up on is perhaps what some have uh, brought up here today about the work site. When our members go to uh, these shelters, uh, what that is, that's their work site for a few minutes or however long it takes them to complete their tasks. Uh, I was going to use the term uh, street conditions that our members are facing, and certainly interesting, I was thinking, we have other Teamster vendors for uh, collecting coins and so on too who face a similar issues. Uh, but I think I'll adapt uh, perhaps the jargon that uh, was uh, come up here, which are knuckleheads. Uh, when our members are working and moving their arms and cleaning and doing the things they have to do, you know, they have their backs turned to difficult situations on the street. And of course, as has been noted, it doesn't take place during peak time when there's lots of people out. It takes place uh, in the early hours or in other, other times. So I'm glad that uh, this uh, project's gonna come forward. I know our members are very excited about doing what they can do to uh, make sure that these uh, shelters are maintained and cleaned as best they can. And I also appreciate the fact that it's acknowledged that much of what is going on with these shelters is above and beyond what our members really can do uh, after they've completed their tasks. I'll put it that way. So thank you. Are there any additional speakers in the room? Seeing that, we'll move to online. Anybody who would like to comment on our Clear Channel uh, contract amendment? I have two speakers in the queue. First speaker, please. 
Hello, my name is Larry Lewin. Um, my family and I have lived in San Francisco since 1947. We currently own the home in the sunset since 1959. I've sadly seen the conditions in the streets of San Francisco worsen over the years, whether it's vandalism, drug, unhoused, public, defecation, other concerns. And I've just watched um, the city slowly deteriorate, even though everybody is trying to do the right thing. I take a walk daily, and there's a homeless person by the name of Lori who lives in the bus shelter on 41st in Noriega. Um, she moves during the day, either from 39th to 41st Avenue. She seems like she is a wonderful person, but, um, and tries to keep the uh, shelter as clean as possible, but she has no place to go. The point that I'm trying to bring up is that the shelters are part of the streets of San Francisco's ecosystem, and the bus shelters are negatively impacted about what's happening in the streets. So I think as we start looking at these jobs and keeping the bus just shelters clean and user-friendly, we have a lot of dynamics that we're trying to all deal with what is fair for the city, what is fair for the homeless, what is fair for people who are working. 30 um, seconds. So I want to comment that the SMMTA and staff are doing a great deal, great agreement that they worked out with Clear Channel. I want to thank them for that. I can see that Clear Channel and their contract is taking really a loss because they're not going to get the money from selling advertising. So I think the contract <laughs> is a step in the right direction. and I urge the board to move forward with approval. And thank you for listening to my comments. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, great. David Bilpel, you can hear me okay? Yes, we can. Excellent. And I think this will be it for today. I'll, I'll also include my comments for item 12. So I don't want to scare anybody, but I support this and item 12 as well. I think the negotiated terms are good for both parties, particularly good uh, for the city, gets things that we need. I want to thank Jonathan Ruers and his team. Oh my gosh, it's Lisa Ising. It's Lisa Ising from uh, Amador Street. I lost track of you. You're back. You're doing fantastic work. Can't say enough good things about Lisa. And Lisa Walton. Uh, we got a plethora of good Lisas. All right, anyway, uh, enough about Lisa Ising. Uh, I saw Robin Reitz's uh, uh, name on the agreement. So if she was involved in drafting and negotiating, that's all to the good as well. Um, nice to see her back doing Prop F work for the city attorney. So everyone that was involved in the transit shelter agreement, I am very supportive of that. And then on item 12, so I don't have to comment later, and I can go get ready for uh, the holiday. Once again, I support the SG. Our, uh, efforts. That is some of the best work now being done at MTA, thanks to uh, Jim Morrill and the rest of staff on that, uh, Jonathan for uh, leading that effort as well. And that's it. Very supportive of both items 11 and 12. Thanks for listening uh, and more fun at the next meeting. Uh, have a safe fast for those to which it applies. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Popel. Happy holiday. All right. Um, are there any additional callers on the line? Yes? No? I believe we have one additional caller. Next speaker, please. 
Good afternoon, directors. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, my name is Romero Gonzalez. Uh, I'm a local 853 Kingster. I've been with Clear Channel since uh, 2019, and my job title as a shelter maintenance worker is to keep up the bus shelters, which is very essential, especially in rebuilding the trust of the public and the use of public transportation. The streets of San Francisco is a tough environment, and it seems it's gotten worse since uh, the COVID-19 came in the picture. There are things uh, we face every time we are doing our tasks, things like syringes, needles, repeat, acid, graffiti, vandalism to electrical and glass, homelessness, drug use with violent mental issues. My teammates and I are always facing with these issues constantly, which makes our work somewhat dangerous and hazardous to carry on with the day's task. We feel that the contract needs to be reworked to really address these issues, not just for us, but for the people and the city of San Francisco. I'm sure SFMTA and Clear Channel and our local teamsters recognize these issues. I believe that this amendment will not be overlooked so our workers and the people of the city of San Francisco use public transportation day to day. So if we all work together, um, my teammates and I appreciate your consideration and support the amendment that is presented here before you. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. That appears to be the last caller. Great. So we thought we close public comment. Directors, <laughs> Director Yukurio. I would like to propose an amendment to the resolution to read as follows. Resolve that within, do I have 30 seconds left? <laughs> Go ahead. Resolve that within 60 days of the approval of this contract agreement, that the SFMTA staff complete a full assessment of the state of our bus shelters and platforms with a plan to bring them all up to maximum condition score, and that a hearing is scheduled within six months to report back on exactly how many shelters and platforms were repaired and to what level, as well as the clearance of the black backlog of repairs. Second. Great. So with that, Director Kahina. All right, can we also add something, some line to specify that um, we want to focus on the equity neighborhoods or to um, something to that, some language around that as well? How about if we, um, as part of the report back, we ask for the overlay of equity neighborhoods so it's seen, so that would. Exactly. So that, that would be um, to report back on exactly how many shelters and platforms were repaired with an overlay on our what do we call it on our equity neighborhoods? Or what's the internal? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Muni Equity Strategy neighborhoods. Along with an overlay of the Muni Equity Strategy neighborhoods. Perfect. Thank and you. to what level, as well as the clearance of the backlog of repairs. Is that, is that the right way to place to put it? Okay. Yes. Great, friendly amendment. Okay, so we're gonna vote first on the amended version with all of those amendments that you have on the record, right? <laughs> that is correct, yep. Please call the roll. <laughs> on the motion to amend, per Director Yukutio's language and Director Kahina. Is Director Kahina? Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger? Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi? Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director Yukutio? Aye. Yukutio, aye. Chair Borden? Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. That motion passes. And then we'll have the regular, the original. Move the, uh, move the item as amended. 
Seconded. On the motion to approve as amended, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. aye. Director Yukutiel. Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. That motion passes. The item is approved. This is you on your next item. Item 12. Presentation. Let's go fix these shelters. Back in order here. <laughs> Next item, please. <laughs> item 12, presentation and discussion regarding a fiscal and management update, including the 2021 State of Good Repair Report. Okay, this is working. Uh, Jonathan Rewers again, Acting Chief Financial Officer. So this is something we do every year. Um, it's actually one of the highlights of my year. Um, to present to you our annual State of Good Repair Report that talks about all of our infrastructure. Um, I'm gonna start us off with just our 10-year asset management strategy. It's something we developed um, back in 2017, and we knew it would take 10 years because a key component that I think you'll get out of the report is that it's not necessarily what the State of Good Repair Report says on an annual basis, but the longitudinal data and the changes we see across the system or the warning signs that we get around certain components of infrastructure. So that started with the update of our capital asset inventory, and we do that every cycle. So every cycle, there's a component of infrastructure that we take a deep dive in. One year, we looked at cable cars and updating all of our asset information around that. One year, it was overhead lines. Right now, we're doing a condition assessment of our traffic signals across the city. So we're constantly working to update our uh, asset inventory. We also created an asset hierarchy. We have to do this for various types of reporting. That way we can produce the report um, that we're sharing with you today. That all gets integrated into our five-year capital improvement program. And if the board remembers, this is the first five-year CIP where we're fully meeting our commitment to stay of good repair over the five-year period where all the elements that we need to spend dollars on to replace, we funded. Um, we continue to do condition assessments, component after component. So the first was our condition assessment of our facilities in 2016. Um, we're currently in the process of doing a condition assessment of all of our traffic signals across San Francisco. And then next, we'll be doing a condition assessment of our stations. Those are the elements that we attempted to fund through the general obligation bond. And again, the reason we did that was the condition of those assets are not where we need them to be. We need significant capital investment in those areas. Um, this then leads to project delivery. What projects do we focus on? Again, a good example is our subway renewal program in transit where we want to focus on underlying infrastructure and then updating that through our systems. And Jim Morrill will talk a little bit about that. So that's the overview. Um, Jim Morrill, who is now our principal analyst in our budget office, um, is also serving as our acting um, asset management unit manager. He will give the rest of this presentation. Afternoon, directors. Jim Morrill, Acting Asset Management Unit uh, Manager. Um, so I'll quickly go through what, we're, what we do in the Asset Management Unit, what we're about with the State of Good Repair Report. So the FTA requires every transit agency to have a transit asset management plan. Uh, this creates policies keeping transit assets in a state of good repair. Uh, the MTA complies with this policy. It adopted our first TAM plan back in 2018. We are working on an up date to the TAM plan right now, which is due later this month. Uh, within our capital plan and program policies, we are required to create a yearly state of good repair report uh, as an element of our TAM plan. Um, bottom line, 
doing these reports and maintaining our assets in a state of good repair is good business practice. Uh, so what goes into this state of good repair report? State of good repair report provides a snapshot estimate of the agency's assets, condition, and replacement value. Uh, by comparing asset classes, we can see longitudinal data and trends over time that help us understand the direction we're headed and which targeted investments we need to make in the future. And our data goes back to the first SGR report from 2014. What is state of good repair? Uh, so this is an important point to keep in mind while reading this uh, data. So an asset is in a state of good repair if it can operate at a full level of performance. The assets remain effective, efficient, reliable, and safe. Um, so we do not operate assets that are not reliable and safe, although effective and efficient can be affected by the aging of the assets. Uh, so why is this information important? It helps us make informed investment decisions under constrained resources and to balance our use of funds between renewal and expansion. And of course, the better we keep our, uh, our system in a state of good repair, uh, it, our performance matches what the public expects. Uh, so how do we get the information for this analysis? Each year, as Jonathan mentioned, we update the capital asset inventory. This is our record of the agency's capital assets, uh, their in-use state, their useful life, and their estimated replacement value. We receive this information from the asset owners. These are the people around the agency who maintain the assets and, own, uh, and know the most about the assets and their condition. We put this data into the uh, capital asset inventory and then we run a model called TERM. Uh, this is a FTA provided model that gives us a condition score that's based on the age of the assets. It's only the age unless we update the actual condition of the assets. Um, so I should note that this is probably going to be the last year that we use the term model. We've procured a new asset inventory. Currently our asset inventory is only an Excel file. We have a new uh, online-based database that we will use and, and can be accessed by anybody in the agency to update uh, information. And we can make this process a little bit more efficient and more accurate. Uh, it also comes with a model that we can use to tweak and make more accurate predictions of our need for investment over time. So we're hopeful that 2022 will be the first state of good repair report using the updated model. So let's dive into the actual results of this year's state of good repair report. Uh, here you can see that the model gives us three main data points for our assets. Uh, there's the term condition score, as I mentioned. This is a one through five score based entirely on the age of the assets. Uh, then you have the total replacement value. Uh, the replacement value will grow with inflation as we, as we put into the model. Uh, this year we put in 3.5% as our inflation rate. Um, and then you also see the backlog. The backlog is the, um, the total value or the percentage of the assets that are beyond their estimated useful life. Now, as I mentioned before, that does not mean that the assets are out of a state of good repair. It just means that we are operating them beyond how long they were intended to be operated. So here you have a list of all the asset classes and their replacement value um, changes from last year to this year. So most of the changes that took place from last year are based on just escalating the value of the assets. Um, in 2021, that was the year that was most affected by uh, COVID and we did not deliver as many projects as we would under a normal year. Um, we also, one of the major changes we had to make this year is you'll see that the uh, motor coach vehicles actually decreased in value. This is because we retired 33 uh, vehicles from that fleet, uh, which had aged out. 
most of the other categories, though, you'll see have increased basically with the inflation. So here is more detail on the backlog. So there are two ways that we divide up our assets. Um, so we divide into the asset classes, but then we also look at everything on a uh, transit service critical or other basis. And we try to focus our investments on what we consider transit service critical. So you'll see that for um, that our backlog mostly grew. So our backlog is currently $4 billion in replacement value of assets. Uh, the majority of the growth of a, the backlog has been over the past few years for non-transit service critical vehicles. We've mostly been maintaining a steady state of um, backlog for the transit service critical. Um, and then below you'll see the backlog by asset classes. You'll notice that the highest is the parking and traffic. And I wanted to break that out a little bit. So within parking and traffic, we have the actual st structures for the parking garages. That makes up approximately 500 million of the backlog. Um, then there's the traffic signals. They make up another 500 million of the backlog. Um, and then the rest of it is actually, um, strangely enough, the uh, thermoplastic paint on the streets uh, land in this asset category. Uh, a lot of those were put in a little bit more than uh, seven, eight years ago, so they just recently went into the backlog because they only have a useful life of seven years. On to the next. Um, so now you'll see some more detail on the age-based condition score. Uh, so something is considered in the backlog if it's less than 2.5 uh, as a term light score. Um, you'll see here that um, the assets that are most in, in the jeopardy of falling into the backlog are mostly into the other state of good repair as we focus much on uh, transit service critical assets. Go on, Jonathan. And then here we have the condition score. This is just the same thing, but broken out by asset class. Um, you'll see that our, our biggest issue areas are facilities, parking and traffic again, and other systems and vehicles. And I will stress that, again, those were the areas we recommended being invested through the general obligation bond. So a lot of the recommendations we made for that bond and through investment are areas of highest risk for our infrastructure. And this is one of the data points that we use to make those decisions. So in the bond, there was a chunk of money to start dealing with the backlog on the traffic signals post um, the completion of the condition assessment. And on our facilities, you'll be getting an update on our building progress program in November and the investment we need to make in our facilities because they are over a century old. That is another area of risk as we try to maintain a new fleet and electrify the system. So we, we use data to make these recommendations to the public um, and these continue to be areas of weakness in our infrastructure and will continue to be so in the future. I think that's good enough detail here. Um, so you'll see over time, if you look at the total, I and mean, this is uh, broken out uh, over the last seven years by, um, by asset class, but if you look at the total, you'll see that we were basically holding steady at uh, mid threes uh, for our term score, which is a pretty good spot to be. Um, but that really reflects the last time we received the GeoBond uh, funds. We were able to spend and keep and maintain our system at the time now, you'll see in the last few years that we've steadily started to drop uh, year over year. Um, this really indicates that we need to start 
reinvesting in the assets that we currently have, um, and we need to find a new source of funding to make up the gap. Okay, so one thing that we need to keep in mind is that we made a commitment to the FTA that we would spend at least $250 million a year in state of good repair spending um, over the next 20 years, I believe it is, 30 years? 30. 30 years. Um, we were on track and doing well to get to that level. Uh, and then this past year, we did not deliver, or I'm sorry, in FY21, we did not deliver nearly as many projects as we typically would because of the pandemic. So we were only able to spend $164 million that year in actual state of good repair spending. Now I looked at the actuals for the following year, and we, we can't really determine the actuals until the books close, which they still haven't yet for continuing funds for this year. Um, but it appears that we will have spent over $800 million on capital uh, spending in FY22. So I anticipate that we will make up a lot of the spending that we missed in FY21 uh, in next year's State of Good Repair report. So we projected out what we anticipate spending over the next five years, and it looks as if we will reach our commitment of $250 million a year in State of Good Repair spending in FY25. And then here's the very scary chart that shows how much it would take to get all of our assets out of the backlog. Um, so if you start at the bottom, that is our minimum. It's the $250 million a year. Uh, the next step up uh, is what it would take to maintain everything as it is without going any more into the backlog. Uh, that's an additional $400 million a year in state of good repair spending. Um, then if we were to reduce half the backlog um, that would be another almost 600 million. Eliminating the backlog is 800 million and then getting everything into a state of good repair, which is not actually a, um, uh, I mean, not state of good repair, basically brand new everything, replacing it over time as it's about to age out, which is not really a realistic goal, would be $900 million a year. Um, so what we really need to do is look at these numbers, realize that the hole, the hole we're in is big, uh, but with targeted investments, we can make a dent and we can make sure that we maintain safety repair as we move forward. Thank you. We will take any questions yes. you have. Thank you. <laughs> well, Director Hensey has a question. Oh, <laughs> for some reason, I wasn't expecting that to be your last slide. All right, thank you for your uh, thorough um, report and also for uh, meeting with me yesterday to, to sort of um, go into it. Uh, I think my questions are mostly for Jonathan. Um, you talked a lot, Jonathan, about um, past funding sources that we did, uh, um, did not get for various um, given various unfortunate circumstances. Um, do we have um, other funding sources in the offing to, to, to both uh, fill that gap but also um, sort of make up the, the gap that you were referring to due to uh, uh, the circumstances that you were referencing in your presentation? Yeah, so so just to remind the public, Proposition A was the general obligation bond that was on the ballot in June. Um, right now, 
Proposition L is on the ballot, uh, which has to do with the transportation sales tax. That is those dollars, which were the former Proposition K transportation sales tax, those go towards state of good repair for some of the assets we're talking about in this report. So that is something that is currently on the ballot and in the past has funded and the current expenditure plan proposes to put money into the assets we're talking about in this report. Mm -hmm. And then, uh just for me personally, I would be interested in, in looking at your, um, your deep dive, and I'm sure the public would, um, would be interested in, in the deep dive on the traffic signals. Um, I, I know that that's an issue, particularly for the Tesla and I know that unfortunately there was money in the DL bond specifically for that, and for me, uh, advancing those traffic signal, uh, advancing those traffic signal projects. If we can still find a way to cover that gap, I think that would be um, good. Um, so uh, I don't know if there needs to be a, I don't know if it needs to be hearing for the traffic signals, but I'd be interested in looking at that and um, just to make sure that we do. Uh, just to cover again that we are on track to uh, spend a sufficient amount of state of good repair in 22, that that, uh, that all um, looks good. Um, our facilities, uh, and you'll be giving an update on that on that in in at future meetings. Um, I did, I was curious about the. The cable car um, asset because because simply because of its age, so I was uh, curious that must uh, be dragging down our state of good repair and also like I know that that's a system that's hard to keep up because because there's only one of of it in the country so um, so how do we how do we approach keeping that in the state of good repair, and mm -hmm. what would it take for for it to be to be in a, in a state of good repair, and how could could we possibly go about? Yeah, that that's that's a good question, and so there are some assets that we have, and I I think Jim brought that up that are just ongoing assets, right? So we go through a program, um, we have our cable car carpentry shop that builds cable cars and renews them, and we get regular dollars to do so. We have assets such as the subway stations where technically they have a useful life of 75 years, but we will not be blowing up Market Street, pulling the boxes out and rebuilding them. That's why we're doing a condition assessment to have a full renewal campaign of that infrastructure, right? That's how we keep that in a regular state of good repair. With regard to cable car, um, Julie Kirschbaum, our transit director, and I have been looking at that for a long time. The electrical system definitely needs an upgrade. Like it is beyond its useful life, and we use this report to inform our movement and scoping out that project. The cable car barn shows up beyond its useful life in the facilities category. That is a component of that project. And then as we shut down the cable car to fix that infrastructure, we want to look at the track and the right of way to try to um, fix the system to do that. A comprehensive um, cable car program has not occurred since 1984. And um, we are working on scoping that out. Uh, Director Tumlin has made asks to the federal government 
in the past they provided the large share of dollars because this is infrastructure of national significance, so there should be a federal role in it. But we are actively looking at it using this data, which is what we should be doing, developing programs, and then targeting how we can best, as, as Jim said, in a resource-constrained world, we have to target the infrastructure that needs the investment now. Mm -hmm. So again, we can guarantee the efficient use of the system day-to-day. -day. So that's, that's how we're dealing with cable car um, we will happy to provide you briefings, maybe a PAG briefing on, on cable cars, probably appropriate, but we are working mm -hmm. on it. That's right, and I, and I might add as well, because this, this is a, a very important set of points for us, that um, as you know, in Prop A, the bulk of the expenditure plan was focused on state of good repair for our existing system and making our existing system faster, more frequent, and more reliable. So the loss of Prop A was a huge setback for us, that's our that's our challenge. So the train well, control system is is fragile. Look, I, I I'm not trying to poke holes in this system, but you it, should. It, it's fair. It does make me wonder yeah. on a couple of them, and yep. but but it's sort of against my purpose here because I want to make a broader point using <laughs> these numbers. Um, if you look, colleagues, at the totals, uh, the the trend is not good, um, and the the next stop after 3.0 is 2.9. Um, which I believe is marginal, uh, and we don't want to be marginal. Uh, and look, I know it's it's 0.1 points uh, between 3.0 and 2.9, but it feels to me a little bit like we're crossing a Rubicon in reverse. Um, and you know, Jeff, I certainly compliment you for trying to make sure that we sort of right the wrong of having the federal program, especially so focused on um, new stuff and not old stuff. I think, as you know, here in the Bay Area, where I used to work and even before I worked there, uh, the policy was fixed at first. Um, and so we tend to take advantage of that flexibility and put a ton of that money, almost all of it, I think, in the last 20 years uh, to maintenance. It's not enough. Um, and again, I, I think, uh, and we're still, I know, in the throes of getting over uh, the loss of our bond measure, um, but we've got to figure out a funding source that we can rely on, and better yet, that this board could control um, so that we could take care of this incredible asset uh, that San Francisco owns. Um, so. I know we've had scattered conversations over the last several months uh, about what to do next. Maybe one question before I, I ask maybe Jeff for a little comment. Um, Prop L is really just, it, it's not a new tax, right? That they're, they're fond of telling the voters. It's not a new tax. So does that mean that you're counting, you're banking on that Prop L money already? Is it baked into this thing? So what Proposition L does is it sustains the existing half-cent sales tax, so that is not changing. What it allows the County Transportation Authority to do is it um, creates a new expenditure plan that allows borrowing and financing beyond the 2034 period and for different priorities. And actually, those priorities heavily focus on state of good repair. So as an example, 
we financed and used the sales taxes in the current expenditure plan for our fleet replacements, and we've used them to zero. Currently in the sales tax program, the, the current program says we're at zero. Um, but So you're using a slice of the city sales tax for this purpose. Um, for transportation, yes. Right, and that slice is just continuing in Prop L, right? Correct. So are you counting on that money in your capital improvement plan? The current CIP and our current five and 30 year financial plan assumes Proposition K, the existing sales tax stays as is. Right, which there's no reason to believe otherwise. Correct. Um, the only question that the voters are being asked is, do you want to extend this thing so that you can buy more things, right? Well, it's more than that. So the, the tax continues for a decade, whether people vote yes or no. Right. Um, however, we've exhausted critical funding categories in the expenditure plan. So if Prop L doesn't pass, the money piles up in a giant pile of money that we can't spend on key categories like fleet replacement and paratransit. Wait, say that again. <laughs> no, this is this is the this is the challenge with Prop L. So so the the sales tax continues until 2034 regardless of what people vote. Right. We have exhausted, however, critical expenditure ca plan categories. So we'll have to overspend in other places because we've got the tax still exists, but we don't or have Or the money will just pile up and not be accessible right. to us. So there, there's an expenditure plan today that assumed a certain component of sales tax would go to certain asset elements. The County Transportation Authority can finance against future sales taxes for bonds or other sources of financing to pay for capital improvements now. You always save money paying for borrowing money than the cost of, I mean, I know you know this, Director Heminger, than the cost of escalation on a capital project. What the new expenditure plan does is it goes to 2034 and beyond, which allows the MTA as one organization, the Department of Public Works, to access those sales taxes beyond 2034. The tax stays exactly the same. It's a new expenditure plan. Well, uh, and I apologize, colleagues, for going on a little bit here, but, um, you know, Plan A was Prop A, I guess, uh, and that failed. Uh, Prop L, I guess, is Plan B, um, to a limited extent, at least. Uh, but that could fail as well. So I, I guess what I'm asking, Jeff, is whether this board can be involved in some kind of Plan C effort um, where we would generate funds, uh, maybe it's not the right phrase, but sort of off the grid. Uh, you know, yes. right now everything heads to the ballot, everything heads to the Board of Supervisors. And I do believe we have some independent authority to raise funds that we are not using or not using fully. And I know you've had a good, healthy debate with the city attorney's office about just how broad that portfolio might be. And I would appreciate at least some kind of report back to us about where we are on that particular subject, but more generally, uh, what's our plan if we lose two in a row? That's right. We'll uh, actually need to take something to you before the end of the calendar year uh, in the event that Prop L doesn't pass or else we will risk having to start shrinking Muni again. 
Um, so we are eager to have that discussion uh, with all of you uh, as soon as we hear the news uh, after the November election. Uh, we've been developing contingency plans for all possible contingencies uh, as staff. Um, and hey, can we get something as well on this parking idea that we've been batting about? Yes. Mm -hmm. But we never seem to get to a yes or a no. It seems to be a maybe. <laughs> Uh, yes, there's a whole Maybe suite. Maybe it's not that strong. Maybe it's mostly no. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll be presenting a whole array of options to all of you for what we might be able to do uh, either uh, under our authority as the SFMTA, in collaboration with the Board of Supervisors, in collaboration with the state, in collaboration with the voters. Uh, we have a lot of options, and I think we're all committed to making sure that uh, the overall transportation system, and especially Muni, continues to recover because our recovery is essential for the city's larger economic recovery, um, as well as for the economic recovery of our residents and small business owners who've been so impacted by COVID. Okay. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Director Kahina. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I had a question about slide nine, um, the asset backlog detail. Um, can you explain a little bit um, to me, I guess, to, to members of the public as well, as well, like what overhead costs entail? Oh, those are those are overhead lines. It's the catenary system for the trolley oh. coaches or the light rail vehicles. Oh, okay, so it's yeah. not like so admin not like staff. It's, like okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I did have questions about the backlog um, and understanding um, what's like industry standard for a backlog because I imagine we're supposed to have something there but what are we doing performing well on trend below the trend like I just wanted to get a baseline understanding on that yeah let me let me start with the so one thing is I mean I congratulate Jim and Phil and the team like I do think we set the national model on this stuff, both as a Department of Transportation to some extent and as a transit agency. Um, we made, so this slide is important because back around 2012, when we made decisions about expansion and projects and what we were gonna fund, um, we made it very clear, this was that commitment that, that Jim talks about to the FTA, that we would focus our resources on transit service critical assets. And we've actually done well in that area. We did get a brand new fleet and we've seen the reliability of the system go up. We've invested a lot in, in rail replacement across the system, El Terravel right now, the Twin Peaks Tunnel. Um, so we've made those investments and, and we've seen value in making those investments. But when we did that, we ignored the other, right? Because again, we only have so many resources to designate to that. At some point, those supportive infrastructure elements, like it turns into a crisis. So parking and traffic and especially traffic signals have always been that for us. The only major source of ongoing revenue for our traffic signals is the sales tax. And it's roughly three or three and a half million dollars a year. So every year we fall further and further behind. It's why we're doing the condition assessment now. We need to figure out where these investments need to go. Like traffic signals benefit everyone. There's a safety component. It's a component for our drivers to keep streets safe and, and keep traffic flowing and reduce congestion across the city. When we upgrade the technology, you know, not only the mast arm, but the controller and the conduit, that's when we can have signal priority for not only transit, but for, you know, public safety vehicles like, like fire engines and the police department. Like, 
we want to add that technology to the city, but we've got to fix the underlying infrastructure, and that's the opportunity we have to do that. And again, we use a lot of our revenues on the frontline service-related things, but some of this other infrastructure, facilities being one of them, we talked about cable car, we're falling far behind. And that's where Director Tumlin says, then it becomes a choice. Like, we will have to start making some very difficult choices, because at some point, you need a maintenance bay to maintain that new bus. Like, we need traffic signals to function to keep the city moving, whether or not there's an emergency or not. Like, we need to have this infrastructure in San Francisco. So it's why we do this report. It's so then you have the information you need when we make capital improvement decisions. And the board did fully fund those. So every year we identify assets that are at the end of their useful life and the investment requirement. This board chose to fully fund those needs over the next five years. It's the first time that we have done that. Um, but again, the backlog still grows even when we make that decision. So, you know, that again becomes what Director Hemminger is talking about. How do we get those resources? Because state of good repair is not a shiny new thing. It's really hard for the public to comprehend the importance of investing in this infrastructure. And doing this report annually and showing the public this data is an important part of, of educating and getting people to understand that. In terms of educating folks to understand this and again to help guide us in our decision making. Um, I think what would be really helpful for me and like in future reports is to really disaggregate this data a little bit more. Yes. Um, specifically um, around understanding what are um, the asset condition scores for um, high injury corridors and mm -hmm. specifically for equity neighborhoods. Um, I think it would be really helpful to understand um, where's our investment going? Um, mm -hmm. Where's the investment needed? Um, and again, trying to stay true to like the policies that, that we have in place. Yeah, so when we, when we complete our traffic signal condition assessment, it's gonna be done right around the time of the board workshop. Um, so I think uh, we have all the data between the capital projects we have planned, the projects we wanted to fund through the GEO bond, and we'll have the updated data from the condition assessment. So we can definitely put something together to have that kind of larger discussion with you all around that time. That would be great um, because I, I think we have, you know, we still have um, our Vision Zero priorities and yep. we want to make sure that those corridors um, have all the different tools in their toolbox to like make sure that we're um, addressing those needs. Um, additionally, we have our equity um, goals as well, right? So um, these are two policies that are really guiding our investments and how we make them. Um, and so we are going to have to make some difficult decisions and it would be wonderful to have those policies inform those things. Absolutely. Great. Any other questions from directors before I open up to public comment? Seeing none, now we'll open up to public comment. This is time for members of the public to comment on our state of good repair report and our lack of funds. <laughs> um, if you are um, in the room, you can approach the podium, but no one seems to be running forward. So I'm going to go to online. Anyone online who'd like to make a comment, please press star three to speak. We do have one speaker in the queue. Great. First speaker. This is Herbert Weiner. Uh, just a general observation. Uh, overall, um, I believe extra projects like the Central Subway, JFK Drive, the Great Highway, Bulbouts, they really drain the resources of MTA. And that's one reason why you have this uh, 
the deficit. The other thing is that you need net additions of vehicles <laughs> to the fleet. That applies to the uh, LRT, LRVs, it applies to motor coaches, it applies to trolleys. This is a growing population with growing needs. And this is something that is not reflected in this budget. And also, you uh, refer to Muni as an incredible asset. It is. But it's being progressively devalued by these other projects and these other outlays. And for that reason, I'm not going to vote for that bond until some real improvement is seen with the net addition of vehicles to the fleet and more transportation resources instead of these other projects, my vote will be no, and I will encourage other people to do the same. Thank you. Next speaker, please. There are no more callers in the queue. So with that, we will close public comment. So, I don't, that was just an informational, informational item. Correct. Is there anything else, directors? Next item. My, I have one little thing, sure. which is Go just ahead. that, um, <laughs> as I understand it, like even if we fund, because things over time are depreciating in value and getting you know, worn down, I just feel like we need to find a billion dollars. You know, we just need to find the full amount as a one time, because what's happening is if we're just funding just the full amount of what we need, we're not actually solving the problem because every year it's getting, you know, things are falling apart. So I say, you know, what's the $906 million one-time Hail Mary so that we can start fresh? Oh, I guess that was a question. It's just to clarify that $900 million is what it would take each year from now on Wait to forever second. stay Wait out of the backlog. Second. Yes. <laughs> it's it's not reasonable it, it shouldn't be expected it's just and the reason that we give this stat is just to show the the breadth of what it would take um what would it take to just get everything in in the way it it should be so one of those stats that we give you is the backlog so if we were just to replace everything we needed to replace today, that would be $4 billion. Uh -huh. Plus we have to do the stuff that we need to do now, right? Yeah, into the next year. So just, the re just closing our backlog of things that are beyond their useful life is $4 billion okay. growing. Okay, all right. Thank you. Any final things? Seeing none, we will close that item and move on to our next item. Places you on item number 13. Discussion and vote pursuant to admin code section 67.10D as to whether to invoke the attorney-client privilege and conduct a closed session conference with legal counsel. Great, so we'll take public comment and anybody who would like to make a comment on us going into closed session. I don't see anyone in the room. Is there anyone on the line who would like to make a comment on us taking a vote on going into closed session? I see no, no speakers in the queue. With that, we'll close public comment. Directors, is there a vote to go into closed session? I'd like session? to motion to go into closed session. Second. Second. Please call the roll. On the motion to go into closed session, Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director Yukutiel. Aye. Yukutiel, 
Aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. The motion passes. The board will now go into closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. Chair Borden, we are ready when you are. Great. We have reconvened from our closed session, and now we're on item 14. Item 14, announcement of closed session. The board met in closed session to discuss the listed case with the city attorney. No action was taken. Great. And our next um, motion not to disclose. Item 15, motion not to disclose. <laughs> Seconded. All right. Please call the roll. On the motion to not disclose, Director Kahina. I'm sorry. Director Hemminger. Aye. Hemminger, aye. Director Hinzi. 
Aye. Hinsey, aye. Director Yukutio. Aye. Yukutio, aye. Chair Borden. Aye. Borden, aye. Thank you. The motion passes and concludes the business before you today. Our next meeting is October 18th. See you then. Bye.